Hello, and thank you for listening to Mike and Jeff Writing the Right. Got a pretty good show this week. We're going to talk about Nancy Pelosi and the enemy within. Talk about the Grim Reaper, Andrew Cuomo, and his mismanagement of New York City and New York State nursing homes in the COVID pandemic. Black Lives Matter, the newest nom- nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize. What impeachment really means nowadays, uh, as that seems to be less and less important. We'll give a slight update on um, Biden's executive orders and his policy towards the economy and, and what that's done to jobs and likely to do to jobs over the next few years. We'll give an update on the GameStop Robinhood situation. And our nerd topic of the week is the question, the deaths of Vic Sage, the DC Black Labels comic. We'll get into issue number one. All right, Mike. So how about you kick us off today with uh, Pelosi and Pelosi this week made a, made quite a few comments about the enemy of Congress being within that the that that's where the danger is coming from and actually used the phrase the enemy within. Um, why don't you walk us through that? Sure, no problem. So since the January 6th riot, Pelosi has been calling um, for increased security. Um, they've put up gates around the Capitol and she's just concerned about all the lawmakers, some of which are carrying um, concealed weapons as they're allowed to do in the House chamber. And she just believes that there's an enemy within and that she's concerned for her life. Um, we see similar calls from AOC. Um, so, you know, when with the Robin Hood stock, how uh, Ted Cruz and AOC were aligned for all of five minutes before AOC came out and said, I'll never work with you, you're evil. I'm you tried to have to be, me murdered three weeks have, ago. Tried to have, me mur- have me murdered. So this that's what the, the current update is, is they're they're starting to push that the politicians themselves are, are the, the issue and an enemy of the people. Well, let me say that not recently because they've been doing that for a while now. Um, I'm not sure if you saw or not, but Maxine Waters, she had made a quote about uh, rushing in, in a, uh, accosting Trump, uh, polit- Trump supporters and politicians at restaurants and things like that. I am very familiar with that. Yes. Drive well, them out. Don't make them know they're not welcome here. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it was pretty long and pretty in depth. Yes. Well, what's funny is earlier this week, someone took that quote and changed it from Trump to Andrew Cuomo. And you now have a bunch of people coming out saying she should never be um, calling for violence. This is so wrong for her to do. And I don't think they realize that she's made that same statement before this in the summer and, and towards Trump supporters. Interesting tidbit, by the way, about Maxine Waters. Uh, there was a report in the last day or so about Maxine Waters giving a bunch of money from her congressional campaign to her daughter. We won't get into 1. that right now. $1.13 million. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so we won't get into that in detail right now. We'll wait for things to develop a little bit more before we talk about that massive corruption scandal. Um, but interestingly enough, thought I'd throw it out since it's the same person you were mentioning, Maxine Waters. Oh yeah, well, since you're on that on on the topic of uh, nepotism, uh, Kamala Harris's niece uh, is <laughs> under scrutiny too because she's essentially been using her her aunt's name to to make money and sell T-shirts uh, and connect with other politicians. So it seems like oh, she's also writing a book as well. That seems like it may not be able to be uh, posted now or published now because it has a. a picture of Kamala Harris, our VP, and Kamala Harris' name is in the title, um, though I can't remember the, the exact name of it. Yeah, 
good, good, uh, good throwaway for more nepotism. And I'm sure we'll hear more about, you know, the Bidens suddenly getting great job offers from the Chinese or some other country that, um, that yeah, is we have clearly... great jobs from the Chinese Jeff. Are you talking about? Yeah, but they'll get some new deal that we'll hear about in a few years. So yeah, nepotism abounds and, and I won't be so stupid as to say nepotism is not entrenched on the right as well, because that is a bad problem with pretty much all of Congress. Uh, they're just in, extremely corrupt and use their power only corruptly. Um, but interesting that's enough, we, all the people that are in the height. What was that? I said, that's why we need to strip them of their power. Agreed. But anyway, so back to the enemy within comments. So I, I thought it was funny. First of all, as you pointed out there, it is allowed for congressmen and women to carry on the Capitol grounds. It's not like they're secretly doing something and violating the law. They're allowed to carry on the Capitol grounds. Um, and as advocates of the second amendment, not only do I believe they should be able to, most of these Congress people do it not only for their own safety, but also as a statement for the American people. Um, because what the, those who don't believe we should be able to carry, Nancy Pelosi being a big one, do is they get armed guards to protect them. Something that the rest of us, the folks that do need to carry to protect ourselves in the common, in, in everyday life, uh, don't have the opportunity to do. So it was interesting that she decided to throw that out there and, and go after the GOP. That Look, this is all built on this idea that the, in, the quote unquote insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th was was an attack on their lives. The reality is, look, some of the people in that crowd may have had ill intent towards Congress and would have actually taken violent action. I can't say that they wouldn't have because I don't know everyone in that crowd. Uh, but what I can say is this, that was not an insurrection. Uh, if it was an insurrection, they would have done more than stand around and steal some, tid or some trinkets from the Capitol. An insurrection means like, you know, you get in there and you actually start to try and take over the government. That was by no means an insurrection. It was a riot. It well, was. It's, it's, I want to say funny, but like, there's photos of them like staying with like within, like the on the on like the red carpet, the um, the the railing. That's what I'm looking for. The gallery. Yeah, the gallery. Thank you. Like in I the gallery. Think that's the word you're looking for, but I'm <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if that's what you're going for. But I think that's but, what you're sorry going within within the like the red velvet ropes mm -hmm. as they walk walks around like they <laughs> oh like within yeah within what's in a tour group <laughs> yes they were they were pretty much doing a, a unsanctioned tour for most of them others were being stupid and violent and hopefully go to jail for ten years yeah, as Trump I... Trump said for the um the violent BLM um writers like, yeah the ones who the ones who I carried don't care out violence. About them. The ones who carried out violence against the Capitol Police and things like that need to rot in prison. I have no problem with that. But that look, Pelosi is using this political moment to try and build up this, this fervor for look at the attack we're under by the crazy folks on the right. And there are people in this chamber that are doing the same thing. And they are inciting insurrection and, and threatening our lives. That is not the case. That has never been the case. That will not be the case. Look, even Marjorie Green, who Pelosi has called out, who is a flat-out lunatic, by the way, and we very, can get into Marjorie Green. She is not. Oh, we will. We will. She, she's she, not she made actually. A response. Yeah, she so, is not actually going in. She is not carrying a gun and going to go shoot Nancy Pelosi. Because here's the thing: is I am not advocating this. I'm going to make this very clear. I'm not advocating violence against Congress. But if Nancy Pelosi really believed the enemy within was was her biggest threat, that there was an enemy to her life in the chamber that was carrying a gun then she'd be dead already. 
because you're already in the chamber with your gun. There's nothing now preventing you from carrying out the action of using it, other than the fact that, oh, you don't have violent intent against the speaker. It's, that, that's the obvious statement here, right? If, if the only thing that prevents a, a crazy person with a gun from killing you is not getting access to you, when that person already has access and the gun, then they would have killed you if that was their intent, or at least attempted to. But no one has attempted to take Nancy Pelosi's life. No one is going to attempt that. There are crazy people in Congress on both sides. Again, Marjorie Greene is a freaking lunatic, but she's not trying to kill Nancy Pelosi. Has she said things that she shouldn't have said? Yeah. Is she uh, a psycho extremist? Yes. Uh, were some of the people in the Capitol violent? Yes. Was it an insurrection? No. This is a politically motivated action to try and drum up outrage on the left to go after the right. And the right shouldn't be standing for this. We need people in Congress who have a brain who aren't Marjorie Greene, like the common sense G, uh, Republicans or common sense conservatives should be standing up and saying, or like Lauren Bobbert from, from Colorado, who has made a number of it. She was recently elected to, to the House of Representatives, um, has made a number of videos about how she's going to carry in the Capitol because she is a big gun rights advocate. Um, she should be coming out. And I believe she may have actually come out against uh, some of the Nancy Pelosi's comment, but people like her, Dan Crenshaw, these people should be speaking out because they're not lunatics, but we're allowing Marjorie Green to carry the message for the GOP, which is more reasons we look like idiots. Yeah, very true. I agree so you mentioned uh, Marjorie Green's response, Mike. How about we get into that? You, um, you know, I've, I've read what she had to say, but I think you can give it better context. Yeah. So essentially, she just she was responding back to to her to Nancy Pelosi, and she said, "Yes, there are enemies within, and the enemies within are the people who are pushing this socialist, um, critical race theory uh, propaganda in the in the government." So she's kind of come out and said that Nancy Pelosi indirectly. Nancy Pelosi and all the extremists on the left are the actual enemy within. Um, and they kind of go into her show. She's uh, um, she believes in the conspiracy theory of quite uh, QAnon. QAnon. Thank you. So I, I don't even know enough about it to know how to say it properly. Oh, would you like a quick rundown of what the QAnon conspiracy believes? Not really, but I'm sure the people will. So anyone who's not listening, who's listening, who does not know what QAnon is, and this is why I said Marjorie Greene is a, new, a lunatic, because her response to Nancy Pelosi, and that's why I wanted Mike to give it, is because Mike hadn't gone out and talked about her, her lunacy, um, so, it, 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 so he could give kind of an even keel approach to it. Because what she said about Nancy Pelosi, I think was a, a good response, a measured response, um, and it was one that, if it came from a different person, would have carried more weight because she's not wrong. The enemies to the enemy within is the enemies to the American people who are trying to overthrow the constitution. And that's what Marjorie Greene essentially was saying. Um, mm -hmm. So she was right. The problem with Marjorie Greene is she is also a lunatic who believes in the QAnon conspiracy. The Q, so I'm going to give a really broad strokes, very quick analysis of this for everyone, because there's a lot to it. It's got a lot of stuff deep on the internet. If you care to go read it, go read it, but I'm not going to go into it uh, because we could spend a whole episode on QAnon. But essentially, starting in the deep, the deep, ugly part of the internet known as 4chan, for anyone who's listening and knows what 4chan is, there was a post very early on in the Trump presidency or right before he was elected, right around when he was elected, I don't recall exactly when, by a guy who simply called, uh, he was an anonymous poster and he simply called himself Q because he had quote unquote Q status or Q, uh, he, he was, he was 
D, he, he had Q clearance, excuse me. And so he was allowed to hear the most classified things within the entire government, things that no one else was able to hear. And so he was a Trump insider with Q clearance. And essentially the QAnon conspiracy posited that Trump was not just elected and like, not only was he elected and he was going to try and drain the swamp, Trump knew about a, a satanic cabal of of pedophiles that ran the country and ran the world essentially. And look, there is some truth in, there's enough truth in certain things in QAnon that, that people latched onto it. Cause we know that there are pedophiles that are running large groups of the country, like with Jeffrey Epstein, look at the connections he had. And he was a, he was a documented convicted pedophile. So like people latch onto these things, but apparently there's a cabal of these satanic pedophiles that run the country. And Donald Trump came in and was going to, and was secretly in the shadows of amassing a case against these people and was going to do, was going to arrest them all in the dead of night. And it was going to be towards the end of his first term. And he was going to do a perp walk and he was going to tear down this structure that was de de destroying America. And it is a great story for TV. It is absolutely insane. And if you get into the deeper parts of it, some of the things that people said to try and justify it. Like there were Q pins that were people were supposedly wearing that you'd see in pictures. And the, like, there's a lot to it that people spend a lot of time. And I don't, they've never even proven whether this, the guy who was posting the original post is the guy who posted the other stuff, or if it was somebody just decided to pick it up and com continue to pile on. Um, the QAnon conspiracy is insane. Say that again. I said, I wouldn't be surprised with that being 4chan. It could have been, it could have been anything. Uh, it could have been one person that was just screwing with people. It could have been uh, a lot of people screwing, but it, either way, it's, it's, it's truly insane. It was as insane as saying that the politicians are secretly lizard people from outer space that have infiltrated humanity to study us and take us over. Like that is essentially as dumb as this. Um, well, yeah. I mean, obviously politicians are mole people from underground and they're trying to start the uprising. Everyone knows this, Jeff. That, that, I mean, honestly, you could, you would, the, you wouldn't have to try very hard to convince me that's part of the QAnon build. Cause the other thing with QAnon is they kept like adding things to it over the years Trump was in office and up to even up to January 6th, people thought that Trump was going to like, before he left office, he was going to do this and it was going to change everything. And the really far, this is the part of the Trump base that I don't agree with. As I've said before, like I am a conservative and I have no problem with the people who backed Trump because I backed Trump on a lot of the conservative things he did. But then you had the super crazy right-wing people who like believed QAnon and backed him and believed that he was somehow going to overthrow the election. And it was, he was going to arrest all these people and the country was going to applaud him and say, you've taken down the cabal of the evil pedophiles. And now you will be president. Like that's what people were believing up until January 20th, even at like 11 AM. Like people really thought this was going to happen. And there are still people out there, QAnon apologists, I guess you could call them that are still saying that like QAnon's real, but you know, there's other stuff going on. And like, you know, he got too, he got discovered or something like that. So again, I have not done it justice for how insane it is, how in depth it is. Um, that is a really, really high level explanation of QAnon, but this is what Marjorie Green believes. So that is why I think she's a lunatic and we do not want her to be a mouthpiece of the right because she makes us all look like idiots. Is, is that also related to like the Pizzagate? Uh, it's stuff? spun out of Pizzagate. Yes, okay. that is. It's funny you mentioned that because Pizzagate is viewed as like an early 
iteration of QAnon by some um, and that it's spun out of it. So, and again, there's enough truth in certain elements that people latched onto it and like, oh, you must believe that you, you, you must like, people will say, oh, you've got to take the red pill. You're not seeing the truth. Um, no, like, yes, Jeffrey Epstein was a pedophile and you would not be hard pressed to convince me that a lot of people on his jets that used to go to his private island were also pedophile. Like, you don't have to convince me that much that there are a lot of pedophiles in Hollywood and in politics because there's a lot uh, of evidence really. for it. Like, there's there's a ton of evidence for it. When you look at, like, what happened to Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, when you look at the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, like, that's not Even hard though, to believe. Yeah, the, the starting of, of the Me Too movement, like, the very beginning, oh, yeah. very, very factually based, and then it kind of spun and out. Spun out of control. Yeah, so eventually um, Biden got an accuser. He's like, no, this isn't real anymore. We're going to throw yes. this aside. The death of Me Too accusing a Democrat. And that's what killed it. Mm -hmm. um, Tara Reid came out with a an accusation that had a lot more basis than, I don't know, the Brett Kavanaugh accusations for one. Um, and then suddenly Me Too died and you haven't heard anything about it since. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is Tara Reid's um, mom had called into, was it Crossfire, Crosstalk? Uh, I, I don't remember the name. It's either Crossfire or Crosstalk because I think they're separate shows. I don't remember. But yes, yeah. one of those shows on CNN back in like the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, Blake. Um, she, they stated like the actual date of the episode. And then, but if you go into like Google where you actually can like see them all, that one episode is missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, they called in. I mean, like she, that's the thing is like, this wasn't like the Brett Kavanaugh accusations where, um, uh, uh, Blazy Ford didn't remember the date or the time or really any details. Like all of None this of happened like, at the up. time she reported it. And like you said, her mother even called in and said, Hey, Joe Biden did this to my daughter. And everybody just covered that up. So these are credit. I, I don't know if they're true or not, but they're credible accusations that warranted being that the, looked into. Yeah. That they're more credible than the Christine Blasey Ford one. Yeah. They at least warrant which, warranted which investigation. people um, stormed the stormed the Supreme court, by the way. Yes. Yes, they did. But for some reason, that wasn't an insurrection. It was simply a protest. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that the protest on the Capitol wasn't a riot because it was, but it was not an insurrection. But we've gone a little off topic from the. So well, let's, let's I, I go into, into the QAnon um, thing, because, again, I don't want Marjorie Green to be the voice of the right, because when you believe that stuff, it makes everything else you say, even the good stuff, like what she said to Pelosi, it taints it with your stupidity. Yeah, um, I feel the same way about uh, this is getting in the sports, but like Kyrie Irving, it's like you believe the earth is flat. I don't respect anything you, you have to say at all anymore. Yes, that's a great example. Like as soon as like, I don't it, care if it you're right. your opinion. <laughs> yeah, I don't care if you're right. You you've you exactly you tainted tainted um, your opinion. And when you share it, it makes other people look just as crazy as you. Exactly. So like I said, like Marjorie Green's comments, when Mike says them, Mike repeats them back because he's not a lunatic. They sound like you say that you hear him saying them like I could see that. I believe that socialism is an enemy to America and the people pushing it and trying to tear down the constitution are enemies. I mean, but then when Marjorie Green an enemy to us in the 20th century. But then when Marjorie Green says it, I go, "Oh man, I must now I'm on now I'm aligned with her." Like that's right. the problem. So people on the right, like we all again, we always try and bring this back to what should the right do to fight this? Um, for one, we need to come up. out. And, we need to come out and smack down what Nancy Pelosi said and point out that you know if people in the chamber were trying to kill you, 
They would have actually, I don't know, made an attempt to kill you with the guns they have in the chamber. Um, so you're a liar and a, and you're trying to drum up um, political fervor to create division because one of two things happened here. Either there are credible threats. And Tulsi Gabbard said this the other day, actually. Um, and again, I've said before, I, a lot of things Tulsi Gabbard says I like because she calls it like it is. I don't agree with everything about her, but I agree with some of the things she says. Tulsi Gabbard yeah. came out. So the, sorry, this is completely random, but sorry, Tulsi Gabbard is uh, starting a podcast. So I'm look, actually looking forward to that because from her speaking with um, Joe Rogan and um, Dave Rubin, she seems like an actual sensible person, which is why I liked her on the Democratic side, even though I still don't agree with, with a lot of her policies. Yeah. And I, and I, so I didn't know that she was starting a podcast. That's cool. Um, and like you said, I, I like Tulsi Gabbard. A lot of things she said, I don't agree with her policy points. I would can't see, I say I would ever vote for her because a large amount of her policies, I drastically disagree with, but compared to the rest of the Democrats, she's extremely sane. So, but what she said, she was, she came out and said a few days ago, um, I'm going to use some of her some of her quotes, she said, this kind of broad inflammatory rhetoric is like throwing a match into the tinderbox. What Speaker Pelosi is talking about is a very serious thing. If there is evidence to back, uh, to back what she is saying is true, this is a legal issue for law enforcement. And then she goes on to say, what Nancy Pelosi is talking about is a crime of terroristic threatening. And if true, should be reported to law enforcement. Members of Congress are not above the law. If you think there is something someone among the Republican caucus plotting the murder of Nancy Pelosi or other members of Congress that could then bring violence upon those individuals. That's the issue here. If this is a criminal threat, let law enforcement deal with it. If there is no evidence of what she is talking about, it's inciting further division and further harm potentially and further destroying the possibility of our country coming together. And so those aren't my, my words. Those are Tulsi Gabbard's words, but I agree with them wholeheartedly. That's the problem. Like if Nancy Pelosi has actual evidence that there is actual plotting to kill members of Congress by, by anyone, whether they be sitting members of Congress or others, report that to the FBI and let the FBI deal with it. And then those members of, if that is by others in the chamber, then they will A, be prosecuted. They'll be taken off the, out of their seats and B, be prosecuted. And I'm all for that if they're actually doing that. But if you're just drumming this up as in, as inflammatory rhetoric so that you can drum up your base and talk about how evil the right is because they're trying to take you down, then all you're doing is creating division for the sake of creating division and you're doing it for a political movement. And so the right needs to stand up and shut this down and say what Tulsi Gabbard had to say. The second thing we need to do is that needs to come from people in our caucus that are not Marjorie Green. It needs to come from sane people in our caucus that are respected. It needs to come from someone like Rand Paul, who, yes, I know he sits in the other chamber of Congress, but the accusation is, is broad enough. It needs to come from someone like Rand Paul that is respected and considered a, a calm voice. Mm -hmm. Let him come out and say it, not Marjorie Green, the lunatic. Very true. That's very well said. And again, we talked about this last week about how the Republicans don't really have a unified voice. And I think it shouldn't be just one person. I think it should be like five or six 10 20 however many people you want to kind of the whole be, caucus yeah wh wh whatever it is but it's constantly blasting out on social media that one nancy pelosi is wrong and two uh taylor green is also a little crazy marjorie green but yeah i thought it was marjorie oh, sorry marjorie taylor green ah yeah yeah so but yes and, and i agree with you it could be a, it should be a unified voice one person 
it, if it's going to be one person, it shouldn't be her, but I would much rather, I agree with you, Mike, hear a, a, a unified approach that honestly, what the people on the right should call for is Nancy, instead of just saying Nancy Pelosi's right, I even think the approach should be different. It shouldn't be the, the heated approach that I have. Look, I'm not in Congress. I'm a guy on a podcast. It's more entertaining for me to be heated. It's also just, it's, it's, it's a different approach, right? I am not sitting in Congress. If I was sitting in Congress, my approach would be different. I wouldn't accuse her of, of inciting this against the right right now. I wouldn't accuse her of creating division. What I would do is say, Nancy Pelosi has raised a very serious issue that Congress should be aware of. I ask that Nancy Pelosi please present all evidence publicly so that the, the, the GOP and the Democratic Party can work together to bring down this threat and work with the FBI and put her on the spot. And then when she can't, then when she says nothing in a, a day, two days, three days, then you come out and you blast her because now you've set the stage where you're not blasting her as a reaction. You're blasting her as a, as a rightful uh, opinion because she lied to the American people. Because if you just come back out guns blazing immediately, you seem defensive and like you're reactionary, like it's a reflex, even though we both know that it's because it's a, a, ridiculous accusation and you got to play it smart. And that's what the right doesn't do this for some reason. We don't play things smart. You got to set them up to hurt themselves. The Democrats do it much better than we do. And you have to be smart about it. You got to say, Nancy Pelosi, you raised a great point. I'm asking for all the evidence. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever it takes and, and do that as a caucus, not just one guy. You got to get the whole Republican party behind it. And then when she can't bring out the evidence, cause it almost guaranteed does not exist. Then you come out and say, they're trying to create division. They're trying to vilify an entire group of people in the country. And they're making slanderous accusations in the halls of Congress against not only the American people, but against their representatives. And then you can plaster for it over and over. Now, whether or not it goes anywhere, that depends on how well you market it. But that's the approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Great, I, think great that's, idea. I think that's where we fall down a lot, Mike. I think as, as the right, we are too reflexive to just kind of flinch back and, and, and get in defense mode. You got to be, you got to be smart. You got, look, they're playing chess while we are playing checkers. So we got to up the game and play three-dimensional chess and leave them behind. Because here's the thing is I know for a fact, I'm more intelligent than Nancy Pelosi, just me. And I hope that there, we have at least one representative in Congress that is. Like I said, the issue is the Republicans don't have a unified front. So, you know, with conservatives overall being like the individual and individualistic, um, we're like, all right, you go out, push your message, you go out and push a different message, whatever. But the Republicans as a whole need to work on um, a unified message. And that's, I agree with what the Democrats are doing better. And we, need, we definitely need, need to do a better job because the Democrats have almost all control of media as well. So they have the advantage. So th there needs to be a, a far better, um, far better plan in mind, and they need to actually be considering, you know, two years from now, or I guess a, a year and a half from now, with the twenty twenty elections, twenty twenty two elections. Just constantly be building up this case against the Democrats. So it's not just making this push in the last three months, but you know, people should should know who they're voting for before they step into that that voting booth which I don't think a lot of people do. I 100% agree. 100%. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's we'll jump into the next crazy topic. Of, yeah, let's go with it. Yeah, so for 
don't know if anyone's heard or not, but the Black Lives Matter movement has been nominated uh, for a Nobel Peace Prize for the way it's called for systematic change that spread around the world. It was uh, nominated by a Norwegian MP, Peter Etty, said the movement had forced countries outside the U.S. to grapple with racism within their own societies. I find that one of the key challenges we have seen in America, but also in Europe and Asia, is a kind of increasing conflict based on inequality. Black Lives Matter has become a very important worldwide movement to fight racial injustice. They have had tremendous achievement in raising global awareness and consciousness about racial injustice. So for people who don't know, Black Lives Matter um, has cost at least 25 people their lives and has caused at least $2 billion in insured, insured property claims. So Is it really that low? I thought I could have sworn it was more than that. But insured either way, it's still claims. bad. Uh, insured property claims. Yeah. Um, remember, I found that link earlier that showed, had compared it's like a hurricane in the amount of damage it, it caused. But just from the insurance claims, it's at $2 billion. But that's still sitting above the, um, the 1992 Riding King riots in LA by almost three times that amount. And 25 lives is an immeasurable cost. It is. But it's just like, you know, people who are against the riot keep pushing this the five lives that were lost at the riot, which are also important, but seem to ignore the, the 25 lives that are lost during this violent insurrection over the summer. Yeah, and, and actually insurrection is a good word for what the Black Lives Matter group was actually doing because they actively were trying to overthrow our system. And again, people in the January 6th riots may have been doing that. Um, I don't think in general that was the purpose since they seem to wander around aimlessly in the Capitol and then kind of just leave. Um, yeah, taking selfies and left. It was, but I'll stop getting into that comparison. Regardless, mm -hmm. it's it is laughable to me how little the Nobel Committee really means in today's world. I mean, look, I've had literally no respect for the Nobel Peace Prize my entire life um, because the Nobel Prize used to be something, and and to some extent still is something that is has scientific value the nobel prize in physics the nobel prize in chemistry like those are important things because they're based on important scientific discoveries the nobel peace prize has always been a popularity contest and it's become even more that way when you think about recent victories right barack obama won before he'd even done anything and then you look at his eight years in office and he did nothing worthy of the nobel peace prize um, Black Lives Matter was nominated now after months of riots burning down street. Like, even if you, even if you like, just look at the lives lost, they killed more people than, than anything that happened this summer. They, like, like they burned down buildings. They, nothing about that was peaceful. It's in no way is a peaceful protest. And you compare it against the other nominations, like Donald Trump, for example, who, this isn't even a, a like a stumping for Trump thing. This is Donald Trump's being nominated for the same category for he, he has bringing three. peace to the Middle East, like getting the the UAE and Israel to have peaceful relations for the first time ever. But he's going to lose it to Black Lives Matter. I will guarantee it today. Oh, I'm sure. Like he's definitely not going to get it. But I think bringing peace to the Middle East versus all the riots over the summer, I don't think they really compare. So you, you got the funding police um, happening in Minnesota. And it, it's funny because that happened. And then the politicians are like, why is, why is it so violent now? We don't understand. 
but then they start calling for like, all right, we'll just have voluntary people with guns going around to um, patrol the cities. They also like, got like, the like cops. <laughs> they also the city council in Minneapolis and, and this happened in other places in the country as well, but specifically Minneapolis also went and uh, got private security for themselves while simultaneously cutting the police force. Well, that some got private security and then some uh, this has has like the police following them around. So they get yeah, police they ta- yeah, that's true. They some of them just retasked what was left of the police force to protect them personally, you know, because mm-hmm. that's how it's supposed to work. They turned the, like, the police into their private military. Just us. Guns protection are bad, for the but not the for protection me for me, but not for the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy because most people still believe that the police are important. I think some like 85% still think is important, including yes. most black people. I was going to say, yes. And in black and minority communities, all polling suggests all summer long when defund the police was trending, all polling in minority communities, low income communities, what have you, all of them said police funding should be increased in yes. their communities. Cause the issue with those major cities is that the police don't show up because there's so much crime that it takes them, you know, hours or days or not even showing up at all, even when there's violent crime that's happening. That's what the issue is. You need more police and then you need uh, the police you have, you need to be better trained as well. So, you know, there's a push to remove um, like the chocos and stuff. And it's like, okay, I kind of understand what your thinking is, but if um, Jeff's a cop and he's trying to arrest me, I got what, 40 pounds on you, 30 pounds on you? And I at a height advantage. Um, there's there's few ways Jeff can take me down um, without having to shoot me or um, use a taser if it's not putting me in a chokehold. Yeah, and then you get and then you get victims that are um, victims slash assailants that are tased multiple times and continue to come at the officer. Like they're not allowed to. You're not allowed to choke them. You're not allowed to tase them. Like what do you leave them? Because we talked about that, you know, with some of the other things that happened with uh, Jacob Blake and some others, you know, like tased multiple times, keep coming at them. Like, yeah, but what it, are you going to do? Put a, they were just two cops wrestling with Jacob Blake. Sorry, just going back to Jacob Blake, but uh, two cops wrestling Jacob Blake, like he was fighting them and he had a knife on him during this, the, during them wrestling with him. Then, but people were like, nope, we still need to riot and everything for Jacob Blake, who's getting ready to, to steal a car with kids inside. Yeah, Black Lives Matter has just become the rallying cry for anybody who wants an excuse to claim that all police are evil and that and wants to go burn stuff down. It's not about and we've talked about this before. It's not about black lives or they'd be worried about, I don't know, the massive homicide rate in the city of Chicago and the extremely accelerating homicide rate in most cities across America that cut their police forces this year. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's like the police are going out and saying, yeah, don't leave anything in your car. Um, stay safe. That's the best we can do. Our, uh, we don't have an amount of people. And like in New York, which is like actually one of the, um, I, don't say, I don't know if safe is the right word, but uh, where the least amount of police killings occur per, um, per population, because New York is, is a huge city. But they defunded them, and now they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to retire. Yeah, and and why wouldn't they? Because here's the other thing is, you know, just like if you go back all the way back to the summer, if you recall, Mike, 
Do you remember what happened with the Democrat National Convention? The, the police refused to, to go to it. Their police refused to protect it because you spend all summer bashing these people as racists and uh, murderers, and then you take away their funding. Why wouldn't they retire? Why wouldn't they walk away? Yeah, like, I'll take my You pension. give them no respect. Yeah, there's also been like a lot of uh, Republican or conservative cities like, yeah, come work with us. So there's a lot, of people, a lot of cops taking pay cuts, moving from like the city where they never get paid more to go to like some small city in the suburbs, the smaller city in the suburbs where they're paid less, but they're actually respected. Yeah, where the police, yeah, where the police are treated like you know civil servants that are out there trying to protect and serve, rather than you know rather than the boogeyman who's coming down the street to murder every innocent minority he sees. Right. And, you know, we both know that there are bad cops out there. We've never denied that. No one has denied that. No, not at all. Not at all. Like we've, we, like I said before on this podcast, that we had an opportunity as U.S. citizens to, to come together and fix the police. And by fix the police, I mean not defunding them, but to hold them more accountable, but also get them more training so that they can better perform their job. And that didn't happen because as soon as the Republicans started agreeing, it's like, well, you're being racist because you still support police. It's like, I can support the concept of police and still think individual police officers are doing bad and need to be punished for, for it. Yeah, it's the same. Look, statistically, it's very similar to the amount of teachers that sleep with their students. And I can tell you, I went to school, I went to many different schools throughout my life. And at none of my schools did a teacher sleep with their students. Um, that's the same as saying that every cop you meet is going to murder someone. Uh, yeah, there are bad cops. There are bad teachers. There are bad everything. But 99.9% mm -hmm. .9 of police officers in this nation do not shoot unarmed civilians. Do not hurt my, you know, do not target minorities. There are people who do. There are teachers who sleep with their students. They're like, you. There are firemen who start their fires. Yeah, like it's, you can go out and find the anomaly, but that's not how you, that's not how we do anything else in the world where we build the system around the anomaly. But for the police, apparently the anomaly are the, like the, the exception is the rule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, What's going to happen is the, the right and the left are going to keep fighting about this and then nothing changes. Yep. Yeah, because the right are going to take the hardline stance of all police are good, which is the wrong stance. And the left are going to take the whole hardline stance that the, all the police are bad, which is also the wrong stance. And there's never going to be anyone that says what you and I have said, which is, I don't know, get rid of the police unions and all this problem probably goes away. Stop protecting bad cops. Stop protecting bad teachers. Stop protecting bad anything let it go and then things get fixed but that's not the state like both sides are so entrenched in equally stupid views that there is no middle ground right and i think they're they're afraid to move i think it's because with police is such a live or die issue like if you're wrong like people are afraid to consider the nuance and guess what the issue is. So I think people on the right are like, all right, if I start to agree that there's some cops are bad, then I, I'm going to get pulled over to all cops are evil, then all the cops go away. And we lose a, a fundamental, something that's fundamental, a fundamental role of the government. One of the few things the government should be doing, um, protecting the, their citizens um, to make sure their, their rights aren't violated. Then on the left, I think it's 
you know, if we agree that there's nuance, then all the cops stay and then no corrupt cop goes away. I think that's what the issue is. I think that they're just afraid to take a step towards the middle. I think that's a well thought out and well said point. Like, I think that's a really good explanation of what's going on is neither side one. Well, we can't lose that. We can't, I, I, a lot of it has to do with voting block, I believe as well. Like the people are looking at it more purely like, well, I just, I've been drummed up in this way or another. And I've been, I've only read the echo chamber that agrees with me, but the, the politicians I think are looking at it as voting blocks. I can't lose the police or I can't lose the anti-police. Um, and so it, it just becomes more entrenched and more deep down. But I think going back to the initial topic, Black Lives Matter, Nobel Peace Prize, you think about all the damage that's been done. Black Lives Matter, like if they had made any headway towards actual police reforms, if they had been instrumental in anything good that happened this summer, you could almost justify it and say, well, it was extremists that caused those things, those riots. But what good has actually come from the Black Lives Matter movement? What, aside, what activity happened aside from the giant protests and, ri and riots that happened over the summer? And I know there were some peaceful protests, but they also didn't accomplish anything. So what was done by the Black Lives Matter movement that deserves a Nobel Peace Prize? Mike, right. anything? According to the, the guy who nominated them is they raised the racial consciousness and everyone's aware about racial inequality now. Then why Which isn't Colin I'll, Kaepernick being nominated? Oh, mean the dude who worked for Nike? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he only cares about racial inequality here, not you know where they have slave labor. But that's not important because China, you can look, you can do whatever you want if you're shilling for China. That China's kind of a black box, like it it's really is. shrouded in mist. It's ancient Chinese <laughs> secrets. You don't have to worry about that. So honestly, if if Black Lives Matter raised the racial consciousness in the world which is arguably the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But if that's the case, why not Colin Kaepernick? Well, here's a better question. Why not nominate him in, in 2015 when they first popped up? Also true. Well, when the movement, when the movement, movement first got going. Or 2014. 15-14? Uh, either way, it was under, under Obama. Yeah, that's a good point. Why not nominate them when the movement first got going? No, I have no idea. The only thing I've seen them do is defund the police and then have those, those citizens in those cities suffer. No, yeah. they've, they've hurt and they, they actively have said that they don't care about black on black violence because that's not the problem. They only care. Like you even heard people like Don Lemon come out and argue with Terry Crews about you're missing the picture of what black lives matter is about. It's about a very specific thing. It's only police brutality. We don't care about all black people. We only care about black people. The cops are shooting, well, which is like, like, you know, like a less than a 10th of 1% of all black really deaths is. in America. It's, it's the same with the people who say like, I'm pro-choice. Mm, no, you're pro-abortion. What other choice are you are you pro that you're yeah, fighting you're for? You're not advocating the people who choose to keep their baby. No. Like, like are you pro cho pro choice in like the taxes you pay? Is that is that you're talking or about? Or if I wear a mask? My body, my choice, except if it's a mask. Because then it's my body, your choice. But when it's a baby, oh, you can just kill that. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't I don't care about your baby. I care. I care I don't care about your body. I care about the body that's inside of you. And yes, you are growing it, but it's not your body. No. It's not that hard to understand. Yeah, like, again, once if people start coming out with like the uh, the maid, what's that maid show on Hulu? The crazy one 
they're like in like red and like just being oh handmaid's like tale handmaid handmaid's tale if that starts happening i will fight with you i'm sure jeff will loan you one of his guns that didn't get um destroyed they're, in the fire they all, they all burned up so oh, okay I, I don't sorry have any alone but if well, i did in spirit i would there you go well guys i have like a katana or two because i'm I weird have some swords <laughs> yeah and i will glad you gladly give you a sword to make sure that handmaid's tale doesn't ever happen in america how's that? i'm right there with you if if we get to the point where women are literally breeding machines then i will help fight the fight but since we're yes. not anywhere near there not even close shut up and sit down I mean, that's really what needs to be because like, like you said, they're not pro-choice. They're not really pro-choice. They're pro a single choice. And it has to be the choice they want you to make, which is kill the child. Uh, it can't be choose to quit working and raise a family at home because women who do that are vilified by the feminist movement because really feminism and equality for women only means if you choose to go back to the workforce, um, which is a fine choice. Look, my wife is a working mother, mm-hmm. but my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And if my wife chooses to quit her job and do that, that's a choice too. And that's an equally valid one, but that's not the choice they care about. And like you said, it's not, they don't need, I don't have the right to choose my taxes. I don't have the right to choose if I even wear a mask, which is my body, my choice would make a perfect point for that. And their argument is, well, you're, you're impacting other people. You're impacting somebody else too. Mm-hmm. What's funny is like pro-choice doesn't even include like the fact that you can choose your own gender, which is also on the left, but like they seem to like have kept those separate. It's really just about being pro-abortion. That is also true. And as Dave Chappelle accurately said in one of his most recent stand-up specials, and he even says, look, maybe I'm way wrong about this, but if if you have the right to choose to keep the baby or get rid of it, then the guy should have the right to choose whether or not he's going to pay for the baby. Yeah. And look, and I don't agree with that. And I don't don't think necessarily he's making that argument, but his point is valid because, okay, if we run this to the logical conclusion, if this you is the, the standard right to, you're setting, yeah, yeah. If you've set the standard, set the standard. The, you've set the standard that only the woman gets to decide if that's the child, because that's the other thing is if if I had knocked up someone in college, I don't get to choose if that baby is aborted, whether or not I agree with it. The woman gets to all on her own. But if she chooses to keep the baby that I don't want, which is not me personally, but if that happened, then I'm on the hook for it for 18 years. Mm-hmm. So Dave Chappelle's not wrong. That's kind of what once said. 18 years, 18 years. She got you for 18 years. <laughs> See, we're pulling out all kinds of great quotes. Because, but that's honestly, if, if that's the argument you're making, that it's the right to choose, then that right to choose extends beyond one person choosing to do one thing. Mm-hmm. It means that we have an infinite right to choose and get out of my face about everything else. Yeah. So for like me personally, if a guy um, says he's not the father, I think you should be able to do a court order DNA test and then boom, it's done. Even like before the child is born and help with prenatal services. That's, that's how pro-life I am. I agree with you on that. However, my, my point is if that by the same token, you're gonna if we carry it and say abortion should be legal then that guy should even with a quarter dna test should be like yeah i don't care yeah it's 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 my blood (laughs) my choice to give it to you yeah it's my choice it's my choice to walk away and let that child grow up poor it'll make him stronger he will deal with he will deal with difficulty like that's because i agree with you like i don't think if if you don't want to raise the child don't have sex and you should be on the hook prenatal from start to finish until that child's an adult. I agree with you. But if the argument's going to be made that that woman has the right to abort, then that guy has the right to walk away. Mm -hmm. 
again, I don't feel that way. I'm pro-life. But if you're being pro-choice, you should feel that way. Yeah, I, I also don't feel that way. But I feel like you can't be, I feel like it's intellectually dishonest to say one and not the other. I agree. But we've spun out a little bit from the Black Lives Matter piece. So let's bring it back a little bit and shift gears to the Grim Reaper of nursing homes, Andrew Cuomo. Yes, let's do that. So first off, I just want to mention that Andrew Cuomo wrote a book, um, American Crisis, Leadership Lessons from the COVID-19 Pandemic. Um, that he was published October 13th. Oh, you mean right in the middle of the pandemic? Yes. While Leadership the pandemic lessons from this thing I'm currently doing. Yes. While, while we're still fighting this, this is what I... That's what I wrote. It'd be and, like writing a, sorry, I'm, I, I just have to jump. It'd be like writing a book about the Super Bowl at halftime. How to win the Super Bowl. No. When trailing at the half. Exactly. Like, this is also why you're losing. That's no, that's not even that. It's like the Lions writing about how to win the Super Bowl. Yes. That's what that is. First game of the season, but we're going to write about how to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Yes, that's what it is. So I'll shut up now, let you explain. But like the, the fact that he wrote that book when he did is hilariously ridiculous to me. Yes. And I just wanted, wanted to say really quick that for um, deaths per million population, New York is second at 2,238 um, deaths. And New Jersey is first at 2,416. So the issue around Andrew Cuomo is... For the New York nursing homes, he issued an order in March and pretty much said that if you are still recovering from COVID, you can still be like you're being legally forced. The nursing homes are being legally forced to allow someone back into the nursing home. So as you can imagine, if you take someone with COVID and you force them to be around a bunch of other old people, then those old people are also going to pass away. So when you look at the data um, from the Department of Health versus what the Attorney General looked into, uh, Letitia James, uh, uh, Attorney General Letitia James, Democrat, what she found is that the death count um, from the nursing homes are actually about 50% higher than what Andrew Cuomo's Department of Health is reporting. So she, she put out a 76 page report um, it's posted to our, our Facebook. If you guys want to read it, you probably only need to read the first 10 pages looking at the summary. Um, but she found out that um, she looked into about 10% of the nursing homes and that about 50% um, of the deaths were being um, underreported. So the, as Jeff called him, the Grim Reaper who put out a book it, um, has been found out to be underreporting the nursing home deaths, which he caused by forcing um, COVID-19 sick COVID-19 patients into the, those nursing homes, which is what the New Jersey governor and the Michigan governor did, which is also why we have high um, nursing home deaths, higher than say Florida, which is like the second highest for old people in the country. Well, and the new uh, health secretary from Pennsylvania also did it the same time she pulled her own mother out of a nursing home. She said her mother decided to leave. That's what her yeah, claim is. Yeah, I'm sure is. she did when she was told that she was getting a death sentence. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that conversation probably went something like this. Hey, mom, I'm sending uh, sick people back that are going to kill you. Would you like to stay there? No, no son, daughter, I would not. Yeah. But anyway, on Cuomo, yeah, not only has Cuomo been the most 
irritatingly arrogant individual during this entire thing. He's up there with Anthony Fauci in terms of his arrogance about COVID. He has mismanaged the situation entirely from start to finish, um, has had some of the strictest lockdowns in his state, has had some of the highest case numbers from the beginning of the pandemic. And even if you say, even if you want to go and say, well, it was because it was before the lockdowns. No, even after his lockdowns, well into the summer, he had higher case numbers than many other states. He still continues to have worse case numbers than many other states. Um, his deaths have continued to, and everybody, I've heard the argument that, well, his deaths are, are, are skewed because so many people died early on before we knew what we were dealing with. Um, we knew from pretty much day one that the most impacted group would be the elderly. Yeah. That was not unknown knowledge then. Pretty so, much we, at the beginning, we pretty much knew that it was flu-like and the flu takes the lives of older people more than young people. So the fact people that you who are said, already unhealthy. Yeah. It, it would be the same thing as saying, all right, people who are with any type of illness, we're going to force you back into the uh, nursing home with people who are already sick. Like if you do that with the flu, if you do it with the common code, if you do that with anything, you're going to increase the deaths unnecessarily. So it doesn't, it really doesn't matter what this COVID was. You, you have a, a good idea of that old people and people who have um, pre-existing conditions are at, of, in danger of getting this and then therefore dying from it. So exactly. there's no excuse of you don't know what this is going to do. That's no excuse whatsoever. No, I, exactly. And that's the thing, because I've, I heard that argument when people were saying, you can't talk about how Cuomo's, how New York's numbers are so high, because that was before we knew what the pandemic was. Okay, maybe we didn't know everything about it. If anything, we thought it was worse back then. Because initially, the reported numbers were the IFR was going to be 3%, that it was mm -hmm. going to be much, much, much deadlier. I think they were um, predicting like 10% of people who get it die. I think we're, right now we're at like 2%. 3% for the United States? I don't even think it's 3% of people who get it that die. You could go look, but I'm, I don't it's think 3 it's 3% of the ones that have um, closed cases as of right now. All closed cases or closed hospital, closed symptomatic cases? So it says I'm on worldometers.info. So there's been 16.8 um, cases that have an outcome. 16.3 are recovered or discharged, and then um, 450,000 resulted in deaths. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the other piece to that is that is again confirmed cases. So even we go with those numbers, yes, it's yes, significantly. If we that even if we go with those numbers, it's significantly lower that was that was anticipated. But if you read numerous studies, the um, Oxford study, the Stanford study. Um, the infection rate is likely about 10x what we think it is um, because mm -hmm. the high amount of asymptomatic unconfirmed cases. So it's actually probably about a tenth of the reported. Um, yes, yes, that's correct. That's right. That's correct. That's correct. Um, but even if you go with that, it's significantly lower. But even back then, we thought it was we thought it was going to be worse than it is. We thought we'd have two million deaths by the summer. Um, we still haven't even crested a half a million. Not that a half a million people dying is not a bad thing. But we also are below the CDC average deaths for the year, by the way. Um, um, we actually had lower net deaths in 2020 than we did in 2019. Um, but that's a separate thing. Regardless, Cuomo knew what he was doing. Everyone knew. There was no question 
that the elderly were at risk. There, that was even that was even the the thing about Italy was one of the reasons Italy had such extreme death numbers was because Italy's population is so extremely old mm-hmm. by comparison to the rest of the world, by comparison to Europe, and by comparison to the states. So, you which took, is interesting. So I think Japan is actually older, or they're pretty close, and Japan is doing fairly well. So it's probably something to do with the, the healthcare system as well. But sorry, continue. Yeah. So there was no question that Andrew Cuomo knew what he was doing. And here's the other piece of this. Let's get away from the incredible, disgustingly calloused and incorrect move he made because putting them back into those homes was the wrong thing to do. And he knew it from day one. Let's get away from that. Let's talk about the other piece here, which is the actual government cover-up that has been exposed because now you've gone from just making a bad decision to now you're covering it up. And that is definitely corruption and probably has broken numerous other state laws in the state of New York around health care, around uh, health reporting. He should be removed from office. He should be, that's an impeach should be an impeachable offense um, as the governor of New York, because you can get away from like, you can say his decision was made and it was the wrong decision, but you can't do anything about it. I don't agree with you, but you can make that argument and he can't get taken out of office for it. He shouldn't get a book deal, but he wouldn't be taken out of office. Now he's covered it up. Now he should be taken out of office and probably tried for criminal action because he is, he is actively covering up what he did. Mm -hmm. So nobody's talking about that. People aren't talking about the fact that he went and made a terrible decision. That was people are talking about how awful it was that he sent people back into nursing homes. And it was people are not talking about the massive government cover-up. 50% is a big number. It is. And like I said before, this is, being reported by uh, the state attorney general, who was a known Democrat. So it's not like the Republicans are, are coming at, at them for this. This was within the, his own party. Which makes you wonder who within New York, Andrew Cuomo pissed off. Because the attorney general's office only published this report be- knowing that it was going to hurt Andrew Cuomo publicly. Somebody has an ax to grind. Somebody doesn't like that guy. That's just my, look, I have no substantiation to that. That's just common sense looking at this and saying, normally you don't, you don't go after your own. That's how politics works because there is I no honesty with in politics. With whatsoever, but yeah. I don't agree with it either is what it is, but it is but what it is. It's, well, it's a fact, it. right? We, we all know whether you should do that or not, people don't. So for someone in his own party to go after him, He's pissed some people off in that in the Democrat Party in New York. Yeah, yeah. If, if I remember correctly, there was a Bill De Blasio had come out against Cuomo maybe a week or two ago. So I think they're starting to the Democrats are going to start to shift the blame onto him. Ah, uh, known guess. anti-Semite Bill De Blasio. That's another mm-hmm. guy who's a freaking disgusting mess. Yeah, I would come after allowed, only I'll, this only the Orthodox Jew community in New York and no one right. else. Like you're, you're allowed a mosque, mosque could be open, but not um, any of the Jewish centers. Like he, they literally like put gates around like um, playgrounds in Jewish communities. Yeah. And they locked them. Yes. They, they put chains and padlocks on them and they had people going around trying to get footage inside of synagogues to prove that the Orthodox Jews were violating their COVID restrictions. With mosques it was an still actual, open. Yeah. We, it was an actual anti, like you, you can't say it was like, oh, he was doing it. And he was actually going after the Jews. So Bill de Blasio coming out after against Andrew Cuomo is laughable at best because de Blasio is also a hack. Again, I think they're trying to just shove all the blame onto one person. They chose Cuomo. 
I agree, which I, I, I think you're totally right. But again, it, may, it raises the question, who did he piss off? Because to get to be the governor of the state, you had to have some political connections and your, his brothers on CNN, he ticks somebody off within the political, within the Democrat party in that state. Well, you gotta keep in mind that all the billionaires and millionaires in New York are starting to move. So, so they're losing a lot of tax revenue. Yeah, but wouldn't you think that the most of that would go on? Wouldn't you think they'd throw the blame on de Blasio more than Cuomo? Just because a lot of New York City's policies come from the mayor, not from the governor. If people were smart, they would. I agree. But it's it's like um, with this Flint water crisis. Um, so they, they kind of skip over the the city council and the, the mayor and go straight to the governor. True. Like they Fair just choose point. who they want to aim, aim it at and then they aim it at them. That's a fair point. And and so and you're probably right. The fact that they're losing that New York is losing people in droves, much like California, um, most, who most Democratic has, cities who has a massive uh, campaign to recall their governor, by the way. Um, yeah, they're pretty close. I think they're at like 80 percent of the votes necessary yeah, to get on they the are, ballot. They're pretty close to recalling Newsom, which that state needs to do if they have any chance of ever recovering because he is destroying California. Um, yeah. So maybe you're right. Maybe they just decided to point the barrels at one guy. Because New York City is a, a ghost town. They've lost a lot of businesses. A lot of businesses have said that had to close during COVID have said, have said they will never open in New York again. Yeah. Well, like they were doing, New York is, is doing stupid. So like what Michigan was doing, saying like, you can be open if you're outside. So there's a bunch of like people working at restaurants, like in like a middle of like a, a snowstorm, trying to like pour wine as a joke and stuff. <laughs> it's like, this is stupid. I'm going to go to a different different city different different state well and the, and the thing is there used to be a time um so i read some reports this is back going back to the summer so i can't recall who wrote them at this point anymore um but you know going back to the summer there were some reports of some major restaurants in new york that were ma- owned by major restaurant groups that there used to be a time where having a restaurant in on fifth avenue having a shopping you know ha- having a, a storefront on fifth avenue was mm-hmm. important having a restaurant in new york was important but uh, a major restaurateur pointed out that he could make more money making a thousand seat restaurant in Orlando, Florida than in New York city nowadays, because the tax situation was so much better. And nowadays there's so much business outside of New York. It used to be that New York city was the hub of American business. It's not anymore. So they can make more money being in, in other cities like Orlando, Florida, Houston, or Dallas, Texas, um, things like that, where a lot better climate and, you can make a lot more money because you're paying a lower wage and you're paying less taxes. Um, so a lot of major restaurateurs and stuff that shut their doors in New York for big, big restaurants, thousand seat restaurants in New York that were big things in New York city have said, yeah, we're not even going to bother to reopen. We're just moving out of that city. Yeah. Come to Detroit. There's like, I'm pretty sure there's still tax incentives for like new businesses to come there. Cause they're still trying to build up downtown Detroit in the surrounding yeah. area. So yeah, like if I'm a New York business that has already like established my name and already have money and just go there, it's pretty simple to do, in my opinion. No, I and I think that that's what we're going to see. New York City is never going to be what it was. No. This pandemic is probably going to have a big take a bigger toll on New York City than maybe anywhere else in the nation. Yeah, listen, if New York Comic Con um, moves to a different city, I have no reason to ever go to New York ever again. Uh, yep, I'm right there with you because. 
I barely like going there for New York Comic Con. I kind of just put up with it because I need to, because I want to go to the comic convention. Yeah, we can't get into San Diego. <laughs> yeah, but if it moves to Orlando or Las Vegas or Dallas or anything like, I would be ecstatic for one, yeah. because I wouldn't have to ever set foot in the garbage city that is New York. And when I say garbage city, I mean literally a city full of garbage. You yes. walk around Times Square to the Javits Center, which is a major populated area of New York. It's not even a bad area. It's Hell's Kitchen and other parts and Midtown and literally stinks like garbage because all the people do is put their garbage out on the streets. It's disgusting. It's a horrible place. Yeah. Also, I think that Motor City Comic Con should move to... Um to a different venue that's a, that's a different topic for us maybe we can talk about it in, our, in our nerd topic more yes maybe maybe in a few weeks we'll talk <laughs> nerd topic the problems with major conventions because for example i think san diego should move because the reason no one can get in there anymore is san diego is in a, a historically small venue and has become a it's not even a comic-con anymore it's a it is an industry show yeah but, that's why i like the new york comic-con one because it's actually about the comics yeah, it's a it's, it's a, a great, fans great convention. Yeah, it's a fan it's a convention. Center. We'll we'll say, we'll touch on this a little bit in our nerd topic. We'll come back to it because okay, it's an works. important topic that nerds need to understand. That nerd culture has actually killed our own. We're killing ourselves. Uh, we'll come back to that. Yeah, I think it started with I think Big Bang Theory. Dilla, um was a big reason for it. It made nerds cool. Save it. We'll come back to it. Let's move on to another topic. All right, Impeachment means topic. nothing. Yes. So for, so they, the house has voted on impeachment. Was that three weeks ago now? Four weeks ago? I, uh, I want to say three weeks ago. Three weeks ago now. And it, it made it to the, the Senate two weeks ago. President Tr Trump is no longer the president. Why is this even a thing? I, I just, I just don't get it. And it seems to me that no one seems to care about the second impeachment. So if you guys go through it, go through with it, you're just you're, you're just boosting up, boosting up Trump because, you know, you, you have Ohio coming out saying we want to do a, a, a Donald Trump day. Um, Florida's happy that the, the president has re, uh, retired there. He's come out saying that he's going to be pushing um, the Republican Party and trying to get the, the rhinos out. I don't see what impeaching Trump is going to do at this point. Except set the precedent for uh, Obama to be impeached once the re uh, Republicans take the House, which I think they will. Cause what is only what an eight-person difference right now? I think I mean, there's there's someone who's already pushed to impeach Biden, which is like I understand you, you don't like Biden. I don't either. I don't think he's done an, an impeachable offense his first weekend. Uh, I, I agree with you, but I don't, but I don't agree. And here's the one thing I will say, at least this statement against Biden was tied to, and I believe it was actually Marjorie Green again, but at least it was tied to what he did as vice president. Oh, okay. And the okay, massive cool. corruption scandal that broke over the summer that the media tried to hide from everyone, the Hunter uh, Biden stuff. So at least that actually stuff. is impeachable that as a sitting vice president, you were taking bribes from other countries. That would be an impeachable offense. I got you. So they were yes. trying to impeach him for his previous actions as sitting VP. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I saw the, the, the impeachment. I was like, there's no reason this isn't going to go anywhere. And so I didn't read into him. And then I saw the, the name that was sponsoring it. Yeah. It, I agree with you. It won't go anywhere. And I also agree with you that a weekend you're not going it, to, it it's not a, it's not a valuable move, but at least that one has more merit than what they're trying to impeach Trump for, because what they're trying to impeach Trump for is again, rhetoric 
not incitement, because the legal definition of incitement, he doesn't meet. Everyone who has looked at this case has said you could not try him for incitement in a criminal court. So it doesn't meet the requirements he, to do that. He did that. not say, go rush the Congress. No, he did He's not actually incite for a peace. riot. Yeah. He was actually calling for peace. He, like, he was doing his, his speech while people had broken off and went to do the thing. It's not like he had did his speech and then that massive wave of, of Trump supporters all went to the, to the Capitol. Exactly. He did not incite an inner look. You can have a problem with Trump all you want. You can have a problem with the way he handled things. And Mike yeah. and I both pointed out problems we had with it. Yeah. But, we thought it was stupid for him to do it on that day, but he, but he had no legal, he's legally done nothing, nothing wrong. He, again, you can say he morally did something wrong. I don't even know if morally he did. I don't agree with that. I think intelligently he didn't do anything. Like there I wouldn't go. have done it from a political standpoint. I don't think it was valuable, but I don't think it was morally wrong. And it definitely wasn't legally wrong. It was neither a high crime nor misdemeanor, which is what impeachment is for. At least the, the Marjorie Green impeachment, because she actually did file articles of impeachment against Biden. She already yeah, no, no, has filed. Them. I know that I know they've been filed. I just didn't read them because yeah, it, it was specifically for what time. he did as vice president. So at least that is a high crime and misdemeanor. Like at least it, again, it's not going to go anywhere, and it's turning impeachment into a political weapon rather than what it's intended to be. So 100% agree with you. It's turned into it's we're degrading the value of what impeachment means. But at least that one's slightly valuable and as opposed to the Trump one. Now, the other problem with the Trump one is it's not even, and Rand Paul put this point of order out in Congress. And first of all, it already flagged that, that Trump's not going to get convicted because only five, uh, cons only five Republicans crossed yes. party lines to vote against Rand Paul's resolution. I thought 45 voted no. And I thought it was a split. Those five were like um, no or present. I think all five of them were. I don't believe all forward. five of them officially voted in uh, in favor. But, of but forward, I know forty five voted no. I yeah, know forty five voted with Rand Paul. Five did not, which means that you're not going to get the seventeen votes you need to convict him. It means that there is not. It's not going to happen. That would have to be a massive difference to convict him if five people did it now and seventeen are what's needed to convict. So that already signaled it. But Rand Paul's point was valid. This is not a constitutional impeachment because to impeach a president by the constitution, you must have it presided over by the chief justice of the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. John Roberts has chosen not to do that. First of all, I don't know why John Roberts was given a choice. I have a big problem with that. I have a, I have a huge problem with John Roberts anyway as chief justice. I think he's a hack and I can't stand the guy because um, I think a lot of his rulings are garbage. But all of that aside, my po personal political opinion about the man aside, where in the Constitution does it say he's given a choice? That is your job. The president is, they're impeaching a president. You're the chief justice of the Supreme Court. You're the presiding officer. That's it. Period. There is no, it's not a question. Like if the chief justice decides that he has the time and he doesn't want to play golf, he may preside over the, no, that's not how it works. This is your job. And if they're not doing that, it's not a constitutional impeachment. Rand Paul is not wrong. Patrick Leahy does not have the, Leahy doesn't have the power to be the, the, the presiding officer over a, an impeachment of a president. That's not how the, the constitution is written. So they're not even following the constitutional process anymore. Well, and you're impeaching so they, a guy who's been out of office for three weeks now. Yes. Well, they said that they, they, they're using Leahy because he's a private citizen. It's like, all right, then why are you doing the impeachment then? Well, he's not just a private citizen, though. I mean, he's also a member of, of the Senate who is also still being a juror on the impeachment trial. No, I'm talking about uh, President Trump. 
They're saying he's not a he's oh, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Repeating him as a private citizen. That's why we don't need yeah, um, chief he, justice. Yes, that is a good point. I do, you're right. That is what they've said Which because he's no longer sitting president. Doing this. If he's no longer a sitting president, then you shouldn't be impeaching him anyway because then take criminal action against him. But there is none because an impeachment is taking is filing criminal it's, charges against the president. That's all it is. People forget that it's not a political thing. It's become that because our Congress doesn't know what they're doing. But impeachment is filing criminal charges against the president. He's not president anymore. So if you actually have something to do, take him to court, use the DOJ. Oh, you can't because there's no evidence for your case. Then it shouldn't be an impeach. It shouldn't be an impeachment. So lay, either either you're impeaching him or you're not. And Leahy, if it's an impeachment, shouldn't be doing it. Oh, and by the way, here's the other problem is even if he's a private citizen, what courthouse in America allows the judge to also be part of the jury in a criminal trial? Right. This isn't a civil case. Like you want to sue him in civil court for what he said? Uh, I, a, don't uh, you're not going to go anywhere, but at least then you can say, well, oh, the judge gets to make the decision. Like criminal cases are not decided that way. We've thrown out what impeachment is. Yeah, impeachment doesn't matter. I, I, I like this. This is the this is the point we're trying to push is that impeachment no longer matters at all. People don't care anymore. So when the the next pres when the current president Biden, who should be impeached for the Ukraine scandal, when he actually gets impeached, if he gets impeached, um, well, let's let's talk about that really quick. What are your thoughts on that? I feel that the the House is going to continue. Will or if, whether he should. Really, really, he will. Will the the Republicans win the the House back while Biden is president? I'm going to go with yes and no, and here's why. Because I've said before, I don't think Biden makes it past 2021 as president. And to be consistent, excuse me, to be consistent with my own predictions, uh, no, they won't okay. win it while he is president because he'll be out of office by then. They will win it during his elected term they'll win the house back and they will try and impeach because impeachment has just become apparently now we just constantly impeach the other party. Mm -hmm. um, and granted, I will say for sake of clarification to everyone listening, while I am talking about the constitutional de definition of impeachment, I should point out that impeachment has never not been used as a political tool. The only three presidents to have ever been impeached are Andrew Johnson, Bill Clinton, and Donald Trump. The only one who actually faced real criminal charges was Bill Clinton for obstruction of justice and perjury. But even that was politically motivated to try and get, get him out because the Republicans had an ax to grind. And don't get me wrong, I don't like Bill Clinton. I have, a no, I have no soft spot for the man. I can't stand him. But he was the only one who even remotely had criminal charges against him. Andrew Johnson had done nothing wrong. It was the Senate, it was the congressional Republicans hated that a Democrat was in office after Lincoln was assassinated. So they wanted him out. And then Donald Trump has now been impeached twice for purely political motivation. So I will be honest. Yes, it's always been this way. It just seems like it's ramped up. So well, has, your second we question. Have, I mean, we have one president getting two, two impeachments. So within like two months of up. each other. Within so. months of each other, too. That's the other thing is, well, actually, I guess the first impeachment happened much longer months. ago than it feels like it did. Months. Yeah, yeah. It, ha it was much longer than I thought than it feels like, I suppose. So it was back but in still that's still too much. And you're still trying to impeach a man who's not even in office anymore. So it, there's no value to it. All you're doing is trying to you're trying to 
to demonize him because you need something because they here's what it really comes down to is congress doesn't want to move on a new stimulus package which has already pissed off half the democrat base that voted for joe biden because it went from two thousand dollar checks to fourteen hundred dollar checks combined with six hundred and you're already seeing people say like where did it where did you ever tell me the six hundred was a down payment i want my uh, my new two thousand yeah i want two thousand from you so so people don't, don't are already count, don't count what that. trump gave me <laughs> yeah, people are already ticked about that. And so the Democrats need something to try and act like they're doing something, but they're not actually going to take action on things that matter to their base. So they need to impeach. But to get back to your initial question, yes, I believe whether it's whether it's Kamala, if Joe Biden somehow miraculously is still president or it's uh, or Joe Biden, whatever. Um, yeah, when the Republicans win the House, they'll vote to impeach. It'll go to the Senate and go nowhere, just like every other impeachment in history, because apparently this is what we're in now. We're in a constant uh, back and forth where the the ruling party in the House, if they're opposed to the president, will just impeach for the smallest or biggest things, because it doesn't matter what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think that's going to happen. What do you think? Yeah, I think the the House is only controlled by Democrats by eight people. And I think it's going to shift um, to uh, Republicans in 2022. I actually think the Senate is going to be won back by the Republicans as well. I agree with you on that, but I don't think we're going to have enough votes to convict. No, we'll have enough votes to impeach, but not to invict. Do you think, I agree with do you, that. so when we, when we win the House back, do you believe we will impeach whoever it is, Kamala or Joe Biden? Yeah, I think, I think it doesn't matter who it is. They're going to, they're going to do it. Yeah, they'll find something. Actually, and, matter of fact, I, I actually could see them trying to in, impeach um, Barack Obama to to pay the the Democrats back for um, impeaching a a um, past president. That would be very interesting. I hadn't even thought of that angle. That would be interesting. I mean, yeah, why not? You know what? Let's go back and let's impeach FDR. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why don't we just start impeaching every historical president for something? For anything they've they ever done. Let's just throw it all on the books. Jefferson owned slaves. He's on the he's on the list. Boom. Like, done. Done. It it's become such a joke, and it was already a joke to begin with. But again, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that they're they're day one. I'm going to get two thousand dollar checks, which is now turned into in March. You might get fourteen hundred dollars. They're just trying to do something to make it look like. Hey, we're working on the important stuff. We're impeaching Trump because orange man bad. Like they don't have their, I think they're being coming very quickly exposed that they're not going to do anything. They were never going to do anything. They're a party of hating one man. Jeff, Jeff, we're getting the $15 minimum wage in four years. For federal employees only. Yes. Maybe. Boom, they've done Because it's just a memorandum that doesn't mean anything. It's a it's a suggestion that the federal government consider by 2026 a minimum wage of 15 bucks for federal employees only. You know, because that's what you people voted for. But there we go. if you voted for Joe Biden and you didn't see this coming, I hate to say it, but I told you so. I said this ha, for ha, months. Ha, ha, ha. I, I, I said this for months. Mike said this for months. The dude has been in, in politics for 47 years and yeah, he has I literally never done anything. What made you think this was different? Yeah, that's that's older than my oldest cousin. So he's been he's been in office for two generations now. It's dang near half a century. Yeah. But now, now in these four years, he's gonna accomplish everything. 
that he was supposed to do before. Yeah, I mean, he he couldn't do it before because he wasn't president. I mean, he was vice president for for eight years, and he was part of the Senate for forty three years. But no, nah, he didn't. He didn't have any authority. Yeah, don't forget the first two years of uh, Obama. He had the the House and the Senate, and it took but, all two years just to pass the. Um, but it was Obama okay. that slowed him down because the most popular president ever elected is Joe Biden. And, and now we know why it's because Obama was slowing him down. Nobody was voting for Obama. They were voting for Biden on the ticket. Clearly, clearly. I mean, he, he has 81 million voters. Nobody watches his live streams or his new press conferences or goes I to his rallies, to. but he had 81 million voters. So this is random, but did you see the, I think we're gonna talk about executive orders in a second, but did you see the video where he doesn't know what executive order he's signing and it's someone like off screen just yells, yeah, just sign it. Just sign it. Uh, I think we talked about it earlier in the week on our other on our last episode. But when he's fumbling with his pen and stuff too. Yeah. I'm yes. Like, oh my yes, goodness. I did see the video. That man is the you know the leader of the free world. A man who I'm pretty sure for a moment there forgot what a pen was, had no idea what he was sitting down to sign. Yeah, that's what I want. I want a president who just signs stuff that's put in front of him. Like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like I'll signing need to read this. A, he signs it. Nah, he signs it as casually it. as I sign a check at a restaurant. <laughs> nah, that's cool. I got it. Yeah, I'll sign this executive order that declares war on Russia. And like mm. he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> he has he, and and for anyone who wants to tweet us or anything, I under, I know the president cannot declare war through executive order. Do not tweet us that. I'm aware of how that works. I don't care for your comments. For now. For now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot until of things not until to be he does, and order. then he should. Until he does, and then it'll just be that's how it happens now. Yeah, don't forget a lot of these executive orders are unconstitutional. So, what says he can't declare war with, with Russia? It depends on people listen to it or not. That's a fair that's what makes the executive order actually has power. I mean, we also haven't declared war officially since World War II, and we've been in numerous wars since then. So, uh, those were again, don't tweet me. I already know this, but. Yeah, yes, I did see the video of him literally being told just sign it. That why on earth is that acceptable to anyone? Like this man is signing things that are actually important. I don't understand how no one freaked out about that. Like I no one our reason I know about it is because I was like watching the video. Yeah, and it's and, and you're right. There was there was no comment. Even the right didn't say something about why did somebody not say hello? He just signed something, he doesn't know what it is. No one, no one cares. Okay. You wouldn't you wouldn't let someone sign their will in that state. Legally, they wouldn't be allowed to sign their last will and testament like that. I mean, but we're letting a president sign executive court. orders. That's it. They, they could technically. It's just be thrown on the court. So, yeah, he, he was kind of fumbling with his pen for a little bit. And then we, he was asked what this was. And we just told him to sign it. Like, oh, OK, so we're just going to we're going to rip this up. <laughs> exactly. Like if I showed a video of someone signing a will that way, it would just get thrown out in pro court. They'd be like, um, that's not valid. <laughs> but but a, but it's okay when you're signing an executive order that you know has impact on 340 million people in america that mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything yeah so this is completely random but in superman returns lex Luthor gets like gets like his grandma to, like sign all of her money over in, in his will and like the family just stands there and watches them do it well, and like I'm, the mom the grandma's like blind and stuff like that he calls it by a different name Oh, sorry, so, this completely random. so I did not know that because I have not seen that movie in a very long time. But um, thank you for pointing it out. At least like Luthor, like is a supervillain. Yeah, it makes it makes it fine for him because <laughs> he's a supervillain, not so much for the president of the United States. Though Lex Luthor uh, was president in a few issues, so 
also true. We talked about it <laughs> very recently, in fact. We did. Also, a very corrupt president. Yep, the corruptest. I don't think that. I don't know if that's a word or not. But <laughs> that's cool. All right, so let's talk executive orders for a moment, Mike. Let's just give a quick update on you know uh, his orders, the job, the jobs policy stuff like that. Yeah, go for it. So, since we've spoken, not a lot has changed, um, but Biden has continued signing executive orders. He did uh, officially um, stop any new leases on uh, any new energy leases on land. Um, his uh, Treasury Secretary, who uh, we'll, this is going to kind of segue into another topic, but his Treasury Secretary, who took eight hundred and ten thousand dollars from. Citadel, which owns Robinhood, um, refused to recuse herself, even though legally had no choice um, from talking about the Robinhood GameStop issue, uh, even though she legally, according to her ethics agreement, had no choice. Um, let's see, what else jobs-wise? Um, aside from killing you know, energy sector jobs uh, and telling people that they should just go learn to build solar panels, um, his, uh, his climate czar and economics uh, czar have both said that some jobs may need to be sacrificed to push forward his Green New Deal version. Um, oh, and, and the Green New Deal is going to require um, taxes on the middle class. Ah, uh, yes, and they may need to raise taxes on the middle class. They should. They may also need to create a uh, a gas tax to fund um, most of their economic or most of their climate policy. So. That's a tax on everyone as well, in addition to just income tax raises on the middle class. Yeah. Uh, he's and actively the- working to, re- to reverse the Trump middle class tax cuts. You know, even though he said anyone under $400,000 would be safe, they're actively working to remove all of those tax cuts from everyone. Mm-hmm. And for, for those of you who, who are going to say things like, well, I don't drive, so the, the gas tax isn't going to impact anything. Um, that's where all your stuff comes from is from trucks shipping things. So those costs are, are going to go up on everything you buy, essentially. You know, I, I get irritated when people talk about, oh, let's raise um, taxes um, um, on houses. What's the property, property tax? And like people are like, oh, well, I'm in an apartment, so it doesn't impact me. Like, you know, the, the apartment building has property taxes, right? And you pay a portion of that through your rent. Like, do you not, do you not understand that? I get irritated with it from a different, a different perspective from the perspective of a homeowner, where if that's your attitude and you don't own land or, or property, and therefore you're not paying property tax in which you're correct, it does come through to them. So they are paying it. But if that's your attitude, then here's an idea. Why, why don't we make it? So if you don't own property, you can't vote on my property tax increase because most States control property tax and most States property tax is controlled by elections. Um, if you don't, why, why am I allowing someone else to tell me what my property tax is if they don't own property? If that's the argument. Yeah. Well, they're doing stuff in like California where they're saying like new homes need to have like areas like, um, homeless people to to shelter in. You must build something in to your, that's gotta be a joke, right? I'm dead serious. Wow. Why would anyone live there? I don't know. In Chicago, they're, they're trying to pass, um, changes to the education where like they're like required to teach your kids about the political activism including like taking them to like protests teaching them about critical race theory and all this type of stuff well they're already talking about critical race theory they're trying to get it passed in chicago and then get it passed nationwide 
like you have to push these left wing ideas to the kids. And if you don't, you can you can be fired. Well, I mean, they also won't go back to work. So this is the same place where literally, literally won't go back to work. So, mm-hmm. so they'll may, they may never get fired. Very true. Very true. Let's see. They, oh, he also signed an executive order strengthening Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. Um, the Affordable Care Act is, whether you like it or dislike it, easily one of the most divisive pieces of legislation ever passed in American history. And not something that should be legislated through the executive with the waving of his pen. Um, let's see. He's, what else has he signed recently? Um, oh, a big one. He's giving abortion money back to overseas. So now American taxpayers can once again fund abortion, not just here, but abroad. That's a big one. There we go. So that my money, which first of all, I don't want going to abortion in the first place, is now funding other people's abortions in other countries. Because the two things I cannot stand are my money being used for killing babies and my money being given to foreigners. My money should be used in, in my country. It's really not that hard to understand. Yeah, it, I don't understand why we think it's our, it's our job to fund the world but it's even worse when we're funding the world doing something that 50% of Americans or more do not agree with. So, and they call it, and they call it, you know, protecting women's healthcare, which once again, when did it become my job to predict everyone else's healthcare? Second of all, abortion is not healthcare. Abortion is murder, period. Last time I checked, putting, uh, gutting someone and tearing them into bits, not healthcare, a form of torture in the middle ages, but not healthcare. Mm-hmm. You're essentially drawing and quartering a baby. And in case anyone didn't get the reference, that's what I was talking about. That's basically what we do for abortions. Thank you, Jeff. You know, what they did to William Wallace and Braveheart, that's how we kill innocent babies. Mm -hmm. So one other thing to that point, and this is kind of off topic, but I I shot you an article a a day or so ago, Mike, that I wanted to bring up that's kind of... on the topic of what uh, what the Biden administration is teeing up to do. And this is, now this is hard to say whether it's the vestiges of the DOJ from the deep state, if you wanna call it that, or if it's the, the, the Biden DOJ, but the DOJ is currently investigating SpaceX um, for, and I think I saw you shot you this article, but if I didn't, the uh, daily wire wrote an article about it a day or so ago. Um, the daily, the DOJ is investigating SpaceX for a discrimination claim against someone who is not a citizen and not a legal permanent resident of the United States for discriminating by not hiring non-citizens. So first of all, hey, SpaceX does SpaceX hires only U.S. citizens. Elon Musk has said this very clearly because they work on government contracts on classified things, which, you know, Raytheon, Lockheed, they also do that. That's not uncommon. Second of all, why is our DOJ investigating discrimination claims by non-citizens and also not legal permanent residents, which what that means uh, is most likely an illegal that was turned down for a job. So why is that person removed from the country? Don't know. So even if they are here legally and they're not a permanent resident, why are we investigating claims of discrimination 
because you're not what why is it something that's even a defended class like discriminating on race or gender or um things like that i i understand why that's protected why we have the equal opportunity commission or equal employment uh commission whatever it is um mm-hmm. Why are we, why do I care if a country prior a company in the U S prioritizes hiring U S citizens? Isn't that a good thing? Why is the DOJ messing with this? I mean, the, the DOJ has been fighting Trump this entire time. So I, I would, I don't know if this would be a Biden DOJ or a leftover Obama DOJ, but it's clearly politically motivated. Just trying to make sure that we can, we can hire the Chinese back into the universities so they can continue to steal our research. Well, and into places like SpaceX, which again are working on classified rocket designs for the U S government and launching our satellites. So good point. Maybe it is just so we can hire the Chinese, but yeah, uh, I saw that the other day, thought that I'd point that out that that's, you know, whether it was by, you know, motivated by Biden's new, um, you know, attorney general or not, or, or what's going on. Um, this is happening under the Biden watch. And if, you know, anyone in the administration cares about Americans, that should be stopped because pretty sure the one thing that I would rather a company do, especially a company working with classified things, but really any company is prioritize that American citizens get the jobs first, because I'm pretty sure that that just makes sense. You would think so, but clearly not. Yeah. All right. So you want to talk real quick on the Robinhood GameStop issue? Yeah, let's go. Let's run through that pretty quick, and then you can switch over to uh, nerd topic. Yeah, we're, I think we're at, at like an hour and a half right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think that you are correct. We're just over that. So, really quickly, listeners, some of you may have seen this on our Facebook page, on our Twitter, or on our Instagram. Um, but Mike and I published an open letter to Congress regarding the the issues with the GameStop stock. Uh, situation that was happening during the week. And we talked about this on Wednesday night when we came to you um, with our last episode, but I wanted to give an update on where we're at, but first I'd like to read the open letter that we wrote. So uh, Mike, would you like me to read the letter? Yeah, go for it. All right. So to the United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate, it has become increasingly apparent that our nation is at a crossroads, a time in which the American people must decide as one, whether to stand up to the influence of big money or be silenced eternally by it. For the first time in decades, those on the left and the right find themselves aligned by aligned by a common purpose against a common enemy. The recent activity around game and AMC and using the stock symbols have exposed the putrid underbelly of our economic system. Capitalism has been the engine for development, innovation, prosperity, and freedom throughout this nation's marvelous history. But capitalism cannot function when free markets are assailed on all sides by those connected to the power structures, which literally and figuratively govern the system and its participants themselves. In a matter of days, the American people have had the light shown on the back alleys and dark corners of Wall Street, big tech, and governmental corruption. The movement in unison of entities such as TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, and Robinhood, as well as Discord, and by appearances, the U.S. Treasury Department, has shown the populace where regulators, the media, and Congress truly place their loyalties. Hedge fund managers have been allowed to short company after company, lever themselves for hundreds of billions of dollars, and use the stock market as a casino for years. These actions, many of which skirt the regulatory and ethical boundaries of market manipulation, have been allowed to continue unchecked. As an advocate for for free markets, I and millions of Americans welcome speculative trading and even see the value it provides the market. However, we have crossed the Rubicon. 
The market is no longer simply welcoming speculation and allowing winners and losers to fall as they may. The infrastructure of this nation has become warped beyond recognition. This week, we have witnessed what can only be described as clear collusion. Call them elites, the connected, or simply the rich. We have the, seen the foundations of our free market torn asunder under the guise of protecting the retail investor when it is overtly evident the only group being protected is institutional wealth and those connected to them. Actions like those taken by Robinhood and TD Ameritrade cannot and should not be tolerated by our nation or its leadership. This is the hour when, our leader, when the leaders that believe in the values of this country must rise up. In this moment of idle talk, in this moment, idle talk and calls for investigation mean nothing. Stand up, take action, do your job. Failure to fight for the American people in this instance to protect the integrity of our markets cannot be tolerated. Conservatives, liberals, progressives, the American people at large are calling for action. The threat to our nation is evident and real. The very fabric of America is at stake. If common people are shut off from the ability to build wealth and make decisions on their investments for themselves, then America is dead, the dream is lost, and the mission failed. I call on everyone in Congress to do the work of the, the American people elected you to do. Fight for your constituents. Protecting the little guy doesn't mean eliminating the rich, but it does mean eliminating their stranglehold on our markets and eliminating their influence on our government. Do this now. There is no more time for rhetoric. Take action or get out of the way. Signed, Writing the Right Podcast, Jeff Arnold, Michael Taylor, Concerned Citizens, Protectors of Freedom, Capitalists, Americans. Fantastic. Do so you want to give an update on what's been going on in the last few days? Yeah, I, I will. And, and I'll start with Robinhood because when we spoke last, TD Ameritrade had shut down trading on um, their app on GameStop stock. And on Wednesday, that was about as far as it had gone. We talked about E-Trade had been exposed doing some of that as well. But we hadn't gotten to the point where Robinhood had done things. By the time this letter was written, Robinhood had taken action, um, but we hadn't talked about that yet. So Robinhood on Thursday morning, not only shut down trading of GameStop stock, they, so they stopped all of their, they, Robinhood stopped their investors from buying GameStop. You were still allowed to sell shares, which would obviously drive the price down and help short sellers but you are no longer allowed to buy any stock and get new positions. The other thing that started happening is against the will of investors, Robinhood started selling off positions in GameStop for a, number of, for a large number of investors. Now, they did this under the guise of their terms of service that stated for a margin call, they could, uh, they could sell off shares to cover the margin call. However, to my knowledge, that's not what actually happened. It was, a, it was what appears to have been uh, uh, an action driven to sell off positions. They stated because they were worried about the volatility of the stock and their ability to cover the losses if the stock dropped and their ability, because, because as a, a um, brokerage firm like that, they have to put up the money themselves before trades clear and trades take a number of days to clear. So Robinhood basically said that they were doing this to protect themselves and their, and their uh, users. Um, however, Interestingly enough, Robinhood's largest single investor, 40% of their money, comes from Citadel. Um, Citadel is also one of the two groups that bailed out the hedge fund Melvin Capital, which was one of the prime losers in the GameStop sh uh, short squeeze. So again, I have no proof of the things of which I allege. However, it becomes very clear and very evident to many, uh, myself included, that these actions are at least and are, are at best questionable um, and warrant investigation by the SEC. At worst, 
they are pure collusion and are criminal action. And those involved should be taken, should be put in prison for securities uh, manipulation, you know, for market manipulation, potential um, other violations of SEC regulation and federal law. So it warrants investigation at the very least. Now, Robinhood, after that, came out and apologized to their their clients. Um, although they lost a number of subscribers in the same day, a lot of people started moving their portfolios out of Robinhood, start, uh, started deleting the app, et cetera, because Robinhood, whose mission about four years ago when they launched the app to quote, let the people trade very clearly became let the people that are connected to our, the hedge funds that fund us trade. Um, so they lost a, a big amount of clout in the market with their, with their retail investor group. Um, in addition to that, Robinhood then, Robinhood also allows you to buy um, cryptocurrencies, Dogecoin being one of them. Dogecoin, which is a cryptocurrency that was made essentially as a joke on the internet, uh, is a essentially a meme currency. Um, it is. So long-term, no one, in my opinion, no one should be buying it because you can mine it as much as you want. So the, the, the value can fluctuate drastically, even if people weren't messing with it right now. But sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, really good point. So I also wouldn't, nothing, first of all, let's put a disclaimer out there for legal purposes and protection of our self purposes. Nothing said on this show is meant to be taken as financial advice. My, neither Mike nor myself are financial advisors and we are not giving financial advice. We are giving opinions which are strictly our own and used strictly for our own purposes and entertainment purposes. Thank you. Uh, anyway, so I also agree. I would not buy Dogecoin. It is not a, a sustainable cryptocurrency moving forward. However, regardless of that, if you wanted to, you should be able to buy it, period. Uh, Dogecoin started taking off because many of the people who are behind the GameStop thing started saying, let's prove our power and let's drive Dogecoin to a dollar. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, but it was uh, previously valued at like less than two cents a uh, coin. So moving it up to a dollar is a massive 50 times, uh, you know, improvement in valuation. So it's a pretty big deal. Um, Dogecoin started going up and it went up to about six and a half cents. Um, at one point, I believe is the height. Uh, the next day, Robinhood also started restricting trading on Dogecoin. Now can't talk about market volatility with that because there's not, they're not really, there's, there's no harm to Robinhood for cryptocurrency. It seems like they're just being vindictive at that point. Um, there, there's really no reason to stop it. Now, Dogecoin has dropped about 50% of that value and is back at about three and a half cents a coin. Uh, last currently time I checked. at um, four cents. Oh, it's currently, okay. Yeah, so this it, morning it, gained, it was at it about gained. three, so it's come up a little bit today. Yeah, yeah, it's been climbing. So again, Robinhood started restricting trading on Dogecoin. So that's what's going on with Robinhood. Uh, their CEO has come out and made a statement and saying, you know, they weren't ever going to, they would never try and stop their, uh, their, their users from investing freely, but they were doing this for the, their own good. Uh, and, you know, cause that's what uh, every person in America wants and needs to be told is that we're going to be told how we can spend our money, where we can spend it, what we can invest in by the powers that be, because it's for our own good, because of the high volatility of GameStop stock, even though, people who have the most basic understanding of the market understood why the stock was volatile and understood that if allowed to continue to hold or buy stock, it would only go up because the short sellers would be forced to buy it at some point. So mm -hmm. it's actually, at some point, someone may be left holding the bag. Um, but that's how the stock market works. Not yeah. the job of Robinhood to litigate who's going to make that money. Mm -hmm. So which Dogecoin... Um, on January 27th, the volume was um, 200 million and the um, 
high was 0.0083. So it was less than a penny. And then on January 29th, the volume shot up to 25 billion with the highest value being 0.078. So about nine times the value in two days. Not bad, isn't it? And like I said, so for fun, so if, for fun, if people wanted to buy it for fun and make a little bit of cash, you could definitely do a pump and dump on that. But again, not financial advice. I wouldn't buy Dogecoin either. Uh, there, there's value in cryptocurrency, not that one. Not, not that one. Again, um, because you can just you can mine as much as you want. There's no there's nothing like fixed about it. Correct. So, so anyway, so that's the Robinhood piece of things. Robinhood, big giant pile of crap. Basically, um, I could use more choice language, but we're trying to keep this from being an explicit show. So big giant pile of crap. Um, other things that are happening around the GameStop stuff. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wrote a letter to the Department of Justice and the SEC, I believe, uh, calling for an investigation. But Mike, do you know who she required to, she requested be investigated? Donald Trump. The Reddit, uh, the Redditors who were trading and potentially colluding and creating market manipulation on r slash Wall Street bets. One of the so Elizabeth Warren and many of the connected in Pocahontas. Uh, for people who don't know who Elizabeth Warren is, she yes, also Pocahontas. goes by Pocahontas. Yes, Pocahontas. So Elizabeth Warren and others calling for the investigation of r slash Wall Street bets, aka the Reddit forum. Um, because they're the ones market manipulating, not, not the hedge funds that um, went out and used a, a connected media campaign to blast this whole movement as uh, bad and talk about market volatility and drive the price down. Not the group that seems to have been behind actually shutting down trading on multiple uh, brokerages. Um, no, let's go look at the Redditors who are doing everything out in the open and buying stock. Uh, that's the problem. Then you've got Janet Yellen, the new treasury sector secretary who accepted $810,000 for a speech from Citadel in October of last year. And I think it was look, through like three speeches, if I remember correctly. Uh, you might, you may be correct, but overall it was $810,000. Yes, yes. Uh, last speech was in October. So by law, according to her own ethics agreement, she had to sign to become secretary of the treasury. She must recuse herself from all matters involving Citadel for up minimum of one year from the last speech she gave. So again, I don't necessarily have a problem with her getting the money uh, because cool, you can go get paid to speak. Uh, it doesn't see, I don't think anyone can ever say anything worth $810,000. seems a lot more like you're getting paid for other things, but I cannot actually substantiate that. That's just my opinion. Uh, regardless, you got paid for it. Good for you. That's what capitalism is. Awesome. However, you are now no longer a capitalist. You are now a public servant who is supposed to be impartial and do your job. She refused, according to Jen Psaki, or however you say her name, the uh, the White House press secretary. The she was asked numerous times, Which "Will is, Janet?" Sorry, go ahead. Will Janet Yellen recuse herself from the GameStop issue? She said there is no intention for her to do that, um, and she's uh, you know she's essentially very knowledgeable and deserve the money she was paid. Um, that's not a, it shouldn't even be a question. It's not, does she want to recuse herself? She doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Go away. You don't, you don't have a choice on this. And we know for a fact, well, I I guess I can't say we know for a fact, according to numerous reports, um, she was briefing Joe Biden on this issue 
during the week. And by the way, what what the heck does the White House mean when they say they're monitoring the situation of something that has nothing to do with the White House? This is a purely a stocks a short squeeze. The White House and Congress had nothing to do with it and need to do nothing. But they were monitoring the situation. Janet Yellen was uh, reportedly briefing Don, uh, J- Joe Biden on the issue. Also was reportedly on the phone with multiple people um, connected. And one could make the the idea that maybe Janet Yellen was uh, pressuring. There are reports, although unsubstantiated, from mm-hmm. anonymous sources that say they work within Robinhood. That Janet Yellen was on the phone with the CEO Vladimir something or other last name can't recall off the top of my head, uh, and was one of the people pushing for them to shut down trading. If there is any truth in that, that is one of the ma- most massive cases of government corruption we've seen. In our in front of our faces in a very 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 long time, you literally yeah, stole billions so. of dollars from a million millions of Americans at the at the behest of rich Wall Street investors that didn't like that they were getting beaten at their own game. That's the update on where we sit sit today. Yep. So in conclusion, the government is corrupt. We need to strip the government of power. Yeah, we need to strip the government and big money of power because they. There's a video, Mike. I don't know if you ever got a chance to watch the uh, interview I sent you. Uh, there's a CNBC inter- uh, market watch interview with um, a guy named Chamath, whose last name I, I can't recall or pronounce. Uh, an investor. He's the CEO of um, CEO of an, like a, a philanthropic uh, investment firm, I believe, out of New uh, California. He's considering running for governor. I'm going to pull up his name so I can get it right. Um, but he was giving, he gave like about a 30 minute interview on the whole issue and basically laid out the fact that, look, the only problem here is that the retail investors are doing exactly what hedge funds have been doing for years. And the hedge funds don't like that. They're getting beat at it, which is exactly the the case. And, um, his name is Chamath Palahapatia. I, I can't say his last name. So I apologize. Um, he's a CEO of social capital. So he's a venture capitalist. Um, he's based out of, um, he lives in California. Um, I believe he's originally from Canada, but he's an American citizen now. But anyway, you know, he had a very good point on the issue, which is that there are a lot of intelligent people in retail investing. Now there's a lot more data available to common Americans than there used to be. And America, and we can do research and we can do the same things that hedge funds do at high levels because, and that, Everyone who's saying, well, someone's going to get hurt by this. Someone's going to get hurt by this. What they're really doing is trying to say that, well, the American people are too stupid to trade for themselves and someone's going to get hurt. So they shouldn't be allowed to do this at all. When really the only people getting hurt right now are hedge funds and they're trying to protect them. And you look, if somebody gets hurt and it's a retail investor, then so be it. That's what happens when you play the stock market. Well, I mean, eventually most of them are going to get hurt when the, when people start selling, right? Because when the, the prices was driven up so quickly, that when you drive it down, it's going to also going to drop quickly. That's- yeah, somebody. Yeah, exactly. The price is going to tank when people unload their stocks. When they find when the short uh, the short sellers have to buy, then mm-hmm. the price is going to drop and it's going to market's going to correct itself. I don't. But the thing is, I don't think they're. I think look, some people may not realize that and they'll ride the high. And you know what? That happened in the dot com boom. Lots of people lost a lot of money. It just happens. Um, but there are also, but that also to, doesn't uh, mean that set limits on their, on their sales. Yeah. But that also doesn't mean that they shouldn't have the right to do Look, you, that doesn't mean you, that we need Robin hood or the federal government or anyone telling us we can and cannot trade mm-hmm. that, that essentially makes the stock market 
only available to institutional wealth and institutional investors. And everyone else just needs to invest in a 401k and hope for the best. Apparently. All right. So nerd topic time. Yeah, let's do this. All right. So this week's nerd topic is issue one of the DC Black Labels comic uh, question, the deaths of Vic Sage. Mm -hmm. Mike, first impressions? Um, so just, I haven't really read a lot of the question. Um, so I, I know of him from like different TV shows and, and movies that feature him. Uh, but this is the first time I'm actually reading the issue about him. Um, and I loved it, to be honest with you. I love the issue. It got a little um, trippy at the end, which we can talk about. But it, it was um, it's a very non-traditional comic. It's more of a, I would, I would say like Sherlock Holmes than it is like a superhero comic. And it's, it's nice to, to switch it up because my favorite superheroes are, you know, Superman and Flash. And they're obviously very um, power-based. So it's just nice for, um, Vic Sage, which the he's an investigative reporter, so he, he does that during the day as his day job, and he's out as a question during the night. So I found it very, I thought it was a very good read. I'm excited to read the books. Was it two, three, and four? I think there's four uh, books. I believe there's only three. Oh, three. Okay, excuse me. I know some of the um, DC Dark Label were originally supposed to be three, and they extended them. I can't remember if that was one of them or not. Yeah, this one's only three. Um... Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have the the trade for people who who don't know why I don't know that. So that is this is one giant ish, uh, book for me. Um. But I I, I love the the dialogue. Um. I love the the um drawing and the coloring. I thought it, it felt very non comic booky, which is what I liked. I thought it fit fit um. It met the character. If that makes sense to me. Makes sense to you or not? Uh, it does, because it's interesting you bring up the artwork, because that's one thing that I initially, as I started reading it, I hated the artwork. The first three, four, maybe in the first 10 pages, I could not stand it. Um, it's very, it's very, a uh, lot of thick lines, a um, lot of indistinct shapes, and it's more sketchy than, than polished. Yeah. But as I got into the book, it just fit with the, with the tone. Um, and we don't talk a lot about the art that goes into a comic a lot of the times because it's, it's very subjective how you feel about it anyway, but really so is everything. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of times the artwork to me sets the tone for whether or not I'm going to enjoy a comic because as a, graphic, as a graphic medium, a lot of it to me has to do with do I like the way it looks because the dialogue can be great, but if I don't like the look, like um, when things are very cartoony looking, when they look very childish and there are some comics I can think of like the new 52, the second half of the Batgirl run is a good example. I don't like the art style. And even when the stories are good, it detracts from me because I can't, I don't like looking at the page. So I kind of don't want to read it. Right. Um, like the, the art style kind of sets like the, um, not, not the mood, not only the mood, but also like the age of which, of who should be reading it almost. Exactly. And so this one initially felt, like I said, if it, it's, it's almost abstract, it's very sketchy. Um, and the backgrounds are, are not fully uh, flushed mm -hmm. out. So it's, it's not as, refined as like a Jim Lee book. Yeah. Um, it seems like a, a rough, rough draft. They yes. just like, all right, well, let's call let's color it in. 
Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like, like this is, this is what I think I'm going to do. And it's something close, but you know, we'll get the panel. We'll get it finished later, but yeah. all of it feels that way. And like I said, at first I absolutely hated it when I was reading it this morning, the first 10 or so pages, I was like, I'm not digging this art style. Like there's a, the beginning of the book, there's a, probably three pages in there's him at, on his TV show, interviewing someone, interviewing a guest. And the back and forth of that, I did not like the way it looked. It was, I felt it was almost distracting to read, but then as you got deeper into it, I agree with you, Mike, I thought it felt perfect for the character and for the story they're telling, which is almost a little psychedelic. Um, and I'm excited to get deeper into it because there were some interesting things. I haven't read a lot of the question before. He's not a character I'm extremely familiar with. I know enough about him to know who he is and know backstory stuff, but I don't know. I have no idea where the story is going to go. Um, and it was not remotely what I expected, but the the, the artwork really, to me set, set things off because it was, because it was so like, there's a part where he's, um, kind of down like this, what looks like almost like a cultist's um like sacrificial chamber kind of thing he finds it and like the way it's drawn is like what you would imagine the frantic drawings of a person in an insane asylum would be a lot of colors with very little um image underneath almost like a rorschach ink blot where mm -hmm. with like colors around them somebody like scratching with with uh crayons on a page that's what it felt reminiscent of to me but it actually worked because it felt it it, it seemed so difficult to understand that it helped you get in the it's i don't normally get very um artistic with our with our reviews um and like very you know deep into the the feeling of things but it helped at least to me this one actually did evoke some feeling of like confusion and um um him being disconcerted because it's he's supposed to be very thrown off by it and things don't make sense in his head and it's it's causing him to like kind of lose his mind almost and you look at those pictures and you see the te the the dialogue and it just fit exactly like this the artwork is like something that i would actually want to hang up and like would actually like stare at you know it's not just like some random like um no so like so jeff and i like you said we go to comic cons all the time so we we get a bunch of posters and, and artwork you know to support local artists and you know, this is something that what I normally get is like, all right, I'll, I like Superman, so I'll get a Superman one. Or I like Flash, I'll get a Flash. Or Dragon Ball Z, I get Dragon Ball Z. This is something that's like, would be like like actual art. Well, you know what I'm trying to say, like something that actually like invokes feeling of art, not just like, this is like a pretty picture. It's kind yeah, of- It was, yeah, that makes I, I, get, I, get what you're, I get what you're saying. And I think hopefully our listeners do as well. It's it just felt, and I am not, for clarification, I am not a fan of modern art. I do not like it at all. I am a, like, I go to the Louvre type of art museum. Like, I want to see Renaissance art, where I can tell what it is. Yeah, um, and I'm I not love a, going to the, the DIA, Detroit Institute of Art. Yeah. I'm not a Jackson Pollock, just throw paint at a page and, and, like, let it look like blobs. I'm not into that. But these pictures, they had enough there that you can contextually see what they are. But it was... Like you could tell that the artist was trying to give an image of it maybe by chaos. itself. Yeah. Chaos. That's a perfect word by mm -hmm. itself. Would I have liked it? I'm not sure. But in the context of the story that's being told, it was absolutely perfect. And again, I thought I was going to hate this book immediately when I opened it. Cause I saw the artwork and I was like, this is not going to be a good one for me, but I, See, I kept actually, reading cause I knew I, yeah. we were going to review it. And I really got into it. Yeah. I felt the same way too, because you know, 
two ish, two nerd topics ago, we read Superman, Batman, and that's com- the complete opposite. It's like bright colors. It's fully fleshed out. It it looks like, um, it looks like an actual like cartoon that's just been put on on pages. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to people. It's, it's very it's very clean and, and and tight versus this, which is the complete opposite. So I was like. I was like, ah, I don't know if I really want to read this because it's just complete opposite of what I'm used to reading. Because even like the the Superman and Flash comics that I read are are very similar. They're they're geared towards, um, I think because Flash and the Flash and Superman are like kind of like the hope characters. It's like bright and like it invokes hope or, or happiness. And this comic from the question d- does not, and it does it in a in a great way. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point, because even I read the darker character, like I'm a big Batman fan, and some of the best Batman stories are dark and and kind of dreary, but even my favorite art, I use Jim Lee as an example a lot, because Jim Lee to me is probably my absolute favorite comic book artist, because what he draws is so clean, so crisp, so clear, but he can get the darkness there, but this one was, again, it was totally different, it evoked a different, it was it was chaotic in the perfect way, and I actually haven't read a comic in my, and this is going, this is a big statement for me because I don't say stuff like this a lot. I haven't read a comic where I thought the art set with the story this well in years. I think this fits better than any of the comics we have discussed on this program, the art for the, the dialogue. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best artwork, but I think it's the best pairing with this specific story because you're telling a story about a guy whose mind is a little bit off and he's a little bit off his rocker. And so you've got art that kind of makes every, it's almost like you're looking through his eyes and everything's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly how it feels like. Um, and I agree with you 100%. This is the, the best art um, for a comic book that I've read in a long time. I can't think of anyone on top of my head where the art and the story um, pair well, pair this well together. I really can't. Yeah. And, and that's honestly, this is, like I said, we don't really get into art discussions much on this uh, when we do our, our comic reviews. But this is... Uh, this is the really cool thing about the medium when, when you do get this, where I think it deepens the story. I think if you just had the dialogue with, without the art, the story wouldn't have been as gripping mm-hmm. because if we start to get into the story now, the dialogue is really cool. That the, the, the story itself is really gripping. Um, Mike, I don't know if you picked up on it. Obviously we talked about reading this last week because we had just come off of talking about Watchmen and Rorschach is based on the question. Um, one of the things that was immediately gripping to me was the internal monologue for Vic Sage. You can tell, you can see the tones. Now, granted, this was written after Watchmen. So it's hard, it's hard to see who informs what, right? Does the question inform Rorschach or did Rorschach in turn inform this definition of the question? And I think the answer is it's both because Rorschach is based on old versions of the question written by different guys. But this version of the question is looking at old versions of the question and Rorschach, but it had a very Rorschach tone to the way he talks. There we go. So just for people who don't know, um, the question was created, I think in like 1967. So it obviously supersedes Watchmen. And we talked about last week that, the uh, question was supposed to actually be the Rorschach in the beginning, but DC shut that down because obviously Rorschach dies in Watchmen. But sorry, you are dead on, by the way. June nineteen sixty-seven in the comic Mysterious Suspense. Well done. 
So, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting though. Uh, Mike, I don't know if you, if you felt the same way I did, but like the, even the opening monologue when he's, he's busting up a, um, a brothel where some kids are being uh, used as sex slaves, basically. And even his internal monologue and then the things he's saying, you could have replaced the image on the page with Rorschach and it would have fit perfectly in my mind. Yeah. So you know, when I'm, when I was reading it, I was using the voice of the guy who played Rorschach in The Watchmen. <laughs> Like I can that's, see that. That's that's exactly what what came to my mind. So I wanted to, wanted to be his voice, even though like you know, like I said, um, the question has been in in a few um, cartoons, and normally I use those voices when I read the cartoons. But it, it just felt like Rorschach's voice just fit better to, for this grittier comic. I I didn't. I don't know. I mean, like now I have to kind of think in my head. Did I do that? I'm not even sure. But I definitely <laughs> thought of it in a very similar term, like it felt like a Rorschach comic at first. And that's not a negative either. Cause I even no, said last week in my review of the Watchmen, I'm not a huge Watchmen fan, but I love Rorschach. And yeah. it is just, it felt the very opening sequence. Like you couldn't tell who you couldn't have told me who, which was the inspiration because right. it could have been either. Cause what I, what I also noticed is like when I, when I kind of read it in Rorschach's voice and like his tone and his cadence, it fit very well with the comic. So I think this is very inspired by the Watchmen, which was inspired by um, older question. So like I said, I'm not sure which came first. Um, I know there was a, a, a question series in like the late 80s, early 90s, I think for like three years that I, I think I'm going to try to start collecting that because I haven't I haven't had like an old comic series to collect in a while. And I think that'll be fun to do. I want to see how this compares um, 30 years later. Yeah, that would be interesting. You'll have to let me know if you go back and read some of that. And actually, I'll have to check on DC Universe uh, Infinite and see if I can just pull up some of the stuff for the old question. Um, so do you want to get into some of the specifics of the story, Mike? Or do you just want to uh, leave that for our readers to go and investigate for the or listeners to go and investigate for themselves? So I didn't want to because this is still fairly new. It's like all the things we've done before are like a Very decade. Old. Yeah. Um, I know we talk about even like the Green Lanterns is, you know, five years old. Um, it's maybe more. It's nah, about five, probably. That's yeah. 2015, 2016, something like that. Okay. Oh, yeah. I forgot. They were the, they were the second wave of um, these of that. But yeah, it's, I think it's a really good comic. You should read it. The ending is unexpected, but it still fits um, with the comic at the same time. And I'm looking well, the ending to... of, of the ending of the first. I, have you read the whole thing yet? No, because I've only read the thing. ending of the first issue. I've only read the, only read, read the first issue. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The ending of the first issue is a, is a surprise and sets up for some things that are going to be interesting. I assume in issues two and three. Yes. I'm looking, I'm barely looking forward to reading two and three. Um, I may read it after this podcast. I will probably be, be reading mine today as well. There's not a lot of comics that oftentimes get me to like instantly want to read the next chapter. Um, but I'm actually going to finish. I almost finished them before we went on today, but was doing some other things. I'm going to finish it today um, because yeah, the ending of the first, the first book in the series, and it's only three books. As Mike said, it's printed in prestige format. If you go and buy it um, at the store, um, because it's a DC black label comic. So it's, and it's meant to be a little more adult. Uh, but if you go buy it, you know, there's not that much to buy. You can either buy the trade paperback as Mike has, it's got all of it, or you can buy them individually. Um, if you are a subscriber to DC universe infinite, it's on there because they've added the black label stuff. A lot of it, not all of it. Um, 
yeah, I'm excited to read this. Yeah, and I, w- I would really suggest people who are enjoying these um, reviews and wants to read along with us to look into DC Universe Infinite because um, it is what eight bucks 75 75 bucks for a year or i think eight bucks a month but you're better off buying a year subscription for two reasons one it does it will save you some money um because it is it is cheaper than buying the monthly um by 25 bucks or so i think i don't remember i because i don't remember it's seven or eight bucks a month um but the other thing is if you buy if i and i think this deal's still running don't quote me on this anyone but um if you were a subscriber initially to DC Universe Infinite when they relaunched this at the beginning of this year, earlier this month, they went from DC Universe, um, which had Titans and things like that that have all moved to HBO Max. Um, when they re- switched to Infinite um, as kind of a reward for sticking with them for essentially the same price, uh, you also got a $25 DC Shop gift card, which you could use on you know um, some of the, the statues that they make that you can buy online or for comic books, things like that you can buy on the internet from DC. So for me, uh, the better value value for your dollar is to buy the annual subscription. If you think you're going to read comics and you're going to read along with us, um, because 90%, I would say 95% or more of what we talk about on here is available on that app. Um, not everything we discuss, but a vast majority of it is. Um, but if you don't want to do the annual, the monthly subscriptions out there as well, it is a very worthwhile service, even without the, uh, without the, the TV and movie content. Oh, definitely. Um, the comics alone makes it worth it. And that's why I kept, because I, Mike can attest to this. I even considered getting rid of it when they first made the announcement because I was worried that it was not going to be worth it, but I do not regret it at all. Mm-hmm. And just for, for people to understand, if you buy like two regular comics per month, that's the same price as, as DC Universe uh, Infinite. So if you think you're going to be reading three or more, I would definitely go for it. Um, the way it's structured is really nice. Um, so if you read one series, it'll kind of link to a, a different series they may you may like. Um, I, I did notice when they were launching um, Titans and any all the other um, DC movies and shows that they'll do like a little special feature of the, those heroes, so you can like kind of read up on them beforehand. Um, and I'm just looking right now, and the question um, from the '80s is on DC Infinite, so I will be reading that as well. Let's to do a comparison. That's that, that's a good point. And the, a couple of things, not that we are the pitch men for DC Universe, although with the amount we pitch it, we, we ought to get, um, they ought to endorse us. But at least uh, at least cover our, um, our subscription costs. That's all we want. Honestly, yeah. Uh, DC Universe Infinite. If anyone listens to this, they can get us connected to DC. We would love to do an ad for you every week because we essentially do one anyway. Um, so but- yeah, the, the annual cost really quick is $59.99. Oh really? So, okay, it's yeah. lower than I thought it was. I could have yeah, sworn so it was seventy five bucks when I just read. Yeah, so if you if you read a comic and a half, this is worth it. Um. So the thing I was going to say is just to clarify for everyone, anyone who's not familiar with it, do not get this assuming you can. If you're reading a comic and a half that's coming out every mo- every uh, month, you are not going to the newest stuff that is in print like today that's coming out like will come out on New Comic Book Day this week will not be on the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't put things out for essentially about a year after they've been printed. So uh, I think they're, I think they're changing that now. They still don't have any of the most, like they're not going to do same week. I know that at least they've said they're not for now. 
because it'll kill. No, they're not doing the same week, but, but I think they're at like six months or three months right now. They might have cut down the time, but either way, I'm not saying that as a negative. I just want people to know, like, if you're taking our advice on this, don't get it and think, oh, I can read what's coming out every week because that's not what the app does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a huge back catalog, though. You can go back and read the very like you could read Action Comics number one. Um, it's on the app. And so that stuff is cool. And it's very current um, for what it has. But if you're like a comic collector, you're probably not going to, you're going to do what Mike and I do anyway and have this. I read most of my comics on here and I buy things that I never touch with my, with my hands. So they stay in really good condition. They sit in boxes. Uh, so if you're a comic collector, that's what this is really good for is you can read them on digitally. You can travel with them without having to travel with a bunch of comic books um, and you don't ruin your comics, but then you can still collect them. The, the one last thing I'll say that's cool about DC Universe Infinite is um, when it was the DC Universe app, and this still applies, you can get it for like Xbox, things like that. And you can read comics on your TV if you want. And you can actually go panel by panel on a page. Which is really dope, by the way. It yeah, looks, for, it looks, for some pages, really it's really, really nice. Some pages, I don't like it when they do a lot of splash content and stuff because it's hard to, I, I want to see the whole thing. But when they do like a big, like nine panel page, like that interview we talked about, I read it that way because it kind of, it's cool. It's like moving through uh, storyboards. Yeah. And I'm looking at um, the latest release and it looks like July 21st is what they have on here. Okay. So about six months back, Mm -hmm. which again, really isn't that bad Um, because if you're anything like me and Mike, you're probably that far behind in your comics anyway. Exactly. (laughs) If not more, I know that I am. Yeah, so they're just getting into like the, the Joker roar, war. So it, it is really worthwhile. Now, um, we've been going for a while, Mike. Do you want to, we just hit two hours. Do we want to give our fans an extra 15 minutes of content or so and have nerd topic number two, which is the problem with Comic-Cons? Or do we want to save that for another day? I feel like we should save that for another day because it's not going to be 15 minutes. You're probably right. So... <laughs> Uh, so any last words? Um, no, nothing Nothing comes to mind. Um, just that the government sucks and we should reduce its power as much as possible. Like, I want, I want to live in a world where if the government is run 100% by Democrats, I'm, like, irritated that my guy didn't win, but I'm still not concerned about the, um, the future of America. That's where I want to get to, where the person, where the, your person loses and you still don't care. Instead of ranting and, and getting angry and rioting and things like that. That's that is a good That is a good goal. Whether or not we'll ever achieve that in our lifetimes, we will see. But we are working towards it. So I'll put Mike. Government sucks. That's Mike's last word. My last word is this. Comics do not suck. Comics are really fun. And they are a good escape from constantly talking and thinking about politics. So if you listen to this show primarily for the political content and you occasionally listen to the nerd topic stuff, I recommend, even if you don't love everything we talk about in nerd topic, listen to it because it's a it's a fun release you can tell our tone changes because it's much different it's a happy thing so to that note we have a a fan requested nerd topic for next week we'll throw in here um but if you have a fan request of a nerd topic it does not have to be comic books mike and i are both into man uh into anime manga uh i'm big into films uh we both like video games we're both pretty diverse nerds um and if it's a topic we don't know we probably know somebody who likes it and we'll bring on a guest. And if it's a topic we do know and it's not comics, we'll talk about that. So if you have a nerd topic you'd like us to talk about in addition to politics so that you can have an escape as well, ask for it. We would love to do it. But please 
Send us your comments on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, request any topics, political or otherwise, you would like us to have. Follow us on Twitter at MJWritingWrite. Instagram on the same handle. Facebook, the Writing the Right page. YouTube, Writing the Right page. And anywhere you uh, podcasts are at, if you haven't already, share us with your friends. We'd really like this to grow. If you see our open letter out on any of those sites as well, please retweet it. Send it out. Whatever you do on Instagram. I don't know. I don't use it. Um, share it on Facebook. We want to go viral, not for ourselves, but so that we can get that message out and we can get the message of this show out and grow to the point where, you know, neither one of us really has a goal of monetizing. We have careers we like, but what would be nice about being able to be a little bit bigger is if we can get some money to put some behind the show, we can get a bigger audience and maybe we can make an impact. So if you can do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it every week. We'll be back next week to talk to you guys again. Yep. Talk to you guys later.